This week on Geeksplained, with Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars Episode Nine releasing this Friday as of this recording, uh, it's time to look back on the entire saga that is the Star Wars films. And to help me do that, I've got a very special guest, my good friend Jesse Pickering, to help me count down and rank every Star Wars film ever. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Star Wars. Um, I am super excited this Friday, as of this recording. Um, Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars Episode Nine, is going to be hitting theaters, and so this week we're going to be taking a look at every other film in the franchise so far. Um, to do this, I recruited my very good brother, Jesse Pickering, to help me sit down and rank every single one of these films. We're ranking them from worst to best, all 10 films so far, and I, oh, I'm really excited. And of course, as you can probably tell, this is a giant size discussion. We went almost three hours talking about all things Star Wars, so this is going to be a big one. And because of that, we're going to be mixing up the order a little bit. We're going to be mixing up the current recipe of the Geek Explained podcast that we do every week. So we are going to uh, change up the order of our segments. We're going to get all of our usual segments out of the way and then open the doors for you to jump into this giant size discussion. So we'll, of course, have our weekly review as well as this week's comics countdown before we jump into that discussion at the end of the podcast. But first, before we get into all of the stuff that we've got to talk about today, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, so we've got some news for you today, um, closing out the year with uh, some, some news I'm pretty excited about. So we have our four categories as always, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No comics news to speak of at the moment, though by the end of the year that could change. Uh, miscellaneous news, we got some more info on the Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind DLC that's going to be dropping at the end of January. Uh, we do know that uh, basically, Nomura, Tatsuya Nomura, who is kind of the showrunner for the game, uh, has said that he didn't want to do like a season pass style that we normally see when it comes to DLC nowadays, and that he wanted to do just one giant DLC for everybody. So uh, we do know that now that we are going to not only be getting um, expanded cutscenes that are going to be kind of expanding the story from throughout the game so these are going to be cutscenes added into the game itself i'm assuming that they'll be added via the uh theater mode as well but 
who knows. Uh, we also got confirmation that there will be um, an extra scenario. Uh, the Remind uh, portion, I guess, which is going to be like the story update, is going to be considering uh or is going to be concerning uh sora going back through pieces of the story in kingdom hearts 3 to rescue kairi so we're going to find out what the power of waking really is and how he's going to use it to save kairi um it also looks like we're going to be getting something called a secret episode uh similar to like the secret episodes from uh birth by sleep uh, some of the enhanced stuff that we got from like the final mix versions of previous games and we're going to, going to be get getting a final secret boss which i think all of us are expecting to be yozora um who knows though uh so on top of all that two keyblades two fan favorite keyblades are going to be added to the game as well those being the oath keeper and oblivion keyblades i've always been an oblivion keyblade guy i actually have a wooden replica of that oblivion keyblade um i love that thing so much so um that is uh those are going to be added to the game when the update goes live and those are going to be free uh they're not going to be uh a purchase DLC, but it looks like you are going to have to do uh, some extra work to unlock them. You have to get two proofs. I can't remember off the top of my head what they're called, um, but basically the one you get for Oathkeeper is, I think, to get all of the um, Lucky Emblems photographed and saved, and then for Oblivion, you have to complete the game on critical mode. So lots of big stuff. Uh, biggest i think of all being the official price for the dlc which is going to be 30 dollars us so that is a hefty price that is half the price of the normal game but again um when you look at a lot of uh season pass dlcs for games like um fallout or games like assassin's creed in recent years it kind of matches up, and with it not being like a season-long DLC, it just being like one big DLC dump uh, at the end of January. I think it warrants it. I think it's fine. I'll definitely be picking it up, and I will. Uh, I might be doing a review for the podcast, so look forward to that. Jumping over to TV news, uh, we have... A, we have an official announcement for what Young Justice Season 4 the title is going to be, and that is going to be Young Justice Phantoms. There's a lot. That is a multi-layered uh, name. Could be referring to the Phantom Zone, could be referring to uh, potential return of Wally West. Uh, could be a ton of things, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, I even though it had its problems, I thought uh, season three of Young Justice was really good, and I'm looking forward to see what they do with season four. And then also in TV news, Watchmen wrapped up this past weekend. Uh, the HBO series Watchmen has been absolutely killing it, and I have been obsessed for the last nine weeks. And if you haven't been keeping up with us over on the Geeksplain Extra series, we had a full review series, kind of like our version of A Talking Dead called Watching the Watchmen, where we reviewed the episodes each week. We have all nine of them, so you can check them out right now. Uh, just go back through the feed for the last nine weeks and you will find the Geeksplain extras that we uploaded for that. Uh, Damon Lindelof, the uh, showrunner, creator of the series, has said in recent interviews that he has no... Um, 
no current plans to do a season two, but he has basically gone the route of never say never and has said that if something does come to him, he would absolutely jump back in for a season two. So fingers crossed. Uh, the way that it ended, no spoilers here. If you want to check out spoilers or get my thoughts on the whole episode, the whole finale, uh, check out the episode that we dropped um, this past Sunday. So uh, I don't know if I necessarily need to see a season two, but if they bring it back and it's as good as season one, I will be there. So that is it for TV news. Jumping into our final category, film news. Uh, this week, Star Wars, episode nine premieres this friday uh as of this recording uh i have my tickets we're gonna go see it uh thursday night and i'm really really looking forward to it um probably expect a review um i'm not sure exactly how i'm gonna do it but i am hoping to do some kind of review this weekend i am really really looking forward to it reviews are out right now for the press screenings they've been mixed um there have been some people who loved it there have been some people who were kind of like Bleh, on it so um i'm cautiously optimistic i really hope that it sticks to the landing uh i as you will hear for the rest of this episode um i'm hoping i'm really really hoping that um it's gonna be good and uh yeah so i um i'm looking forward to that Next in film news, we got the, uh, I guess, the first uh, set photos, first um, press leaks or press photos for Bill and Ted 3. I'm really looking forward to this, guys, honestly. <laughs> um, Bill and Ted was one of the first uh, films that I was introduced to Keanu Reeves, and Keanu hype is at an all-time high right now. So they look good. Uh, Bill and Ted look pretty much the same. Um, so it's, it's looking good. I'm sure it's going to be a fun time, but then the big news of the week for me, at least, uh, was that we got a trailer and not just any trailer. We got a trailer for the next and latest DC animated film, which is going to be the animated adaptation of Superman Red Sun. We've talked about it before um, on this segment, actually, uh, all the news updates, the casting, all that stuff. But we finally got to see a trailer, and it looks great. It looks really, really good. Um, the art style kind of reminds me of uh, New Frontier. It's It's got a lot of uh, Darwin Cook-esque uh, DNA within the art, so I think it looks gorgeous. Um, I'm not super sold on uh, Jason Isaacs as Superman yet, but I'm really, really hoping that uh, he's able to win me over with his performance because uh, that's such a great casting for that character, and Superman Red Sun is one of the most uh, famous, I think, one of the most famous uh, Superman stories of all time, and definitely one of the biggest Elseworlds stories of all time so I'm looking forward to it I think it's going to be great and um, I can't wait for it to drop officially so that is going to do it for this week's news as we stated before we are changing up the order here so that we can uh, get all of the other segments out of the way and get right into this giant size discussion so right now we are going to head on over to the weekly review Turn the world on with a smile. You take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile. What a 
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now is an interesting time for the weekly review segment. Uh, if you have been following along with us, we've been reviewing uh, both the final season of Arrow as well as Crisis on Infinite Earths with our giant-sized uh, weekly review from last week. Um, this week, though... We don't have any Crisis. We don't have any Arrow. Uh, the Arrowverse shows are going on hiatus for about a month. The next chapter of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, I believe actually the concluding chapters, both chapters 4 and 5, are going to be on January 14th. So I put up a poll on Twitter at GeekSplainedPod uh, asking what you think I should review between now and then. We had a couple options on there, and the two winning options were a tie, because of course they were. Uh, one side uh, wanted me to review the Harley Quinn cartoon that's going on right now in the DC Universe app. And then the other side wanted me to change it up every week. So I am going to do both. This week we will be reviewing the first three episodes of Harley Quinn. And then every week after this I'll be changing it up, interview or uh, reviewing something else all the way up to the lead into uh, Christ on Infinite Earth on January 14th. So this week we're checking out Harley Quinn. Um, I didn't know what to think of this. I saw the um, the trailers for it, saw the casting for it. I think Kaylee Cuoco as Harley Quinn is, a, is an inspired choice. Um, it, she brings something really different, and her flavor when it comes to her voice uh really brings something to the character that we don't often get uh it's very every iteration of harley at this point from i think really from arlene sorkin on has kind of tried to chase that arlene sorkin-esque uh energy whereas uh kelly cuoco's energy is very different and i really like it her uh her Mr. J uh, accent isn't as heavy here as well, which I didn't think I was going to like, but after watching these first three episodes, I actually really enjoyed. Uh, so overall, I liked these episodes. I was surprised at how much I liked them. I would say they're kind of, um, it's very, I guess, cliche to say at this point, but they're very uh, Deadpool-like in their presentation with their... Um, with the uh, violence and the humor and the gore. Um, overall, I think the episodes are really strong, and I think that this is a great look into Gotham City. Uh, all of this, and I think it's something genius, is from Harley Quinn's perspective. So characters like Batman, characters like Jim Gordon, come off uh, exactly how you would expect them to if you were viewing them from the villain's perspective. Like, Batman is very stoic. There's not much known about him. Um... And he doesn't say a whole lot. Jim Gordon is just ragged and just like on the verge of a breakdown in every scene that he's in. Um, and you know that there's more layers to these characters. But from the viewpoint of Harley Quinn and the other villains, this is what they see. And I really, really like that. Uh, the story for the first three episodes, which I, I would say could be a three-part uh, pilot in itself uh the first three episodes really kind of set up what the rest of the show i think is going to be about so uh the first episode really deals with harley's split from the joker uh the two of them have a 
pretty big falling out, and uh, Harley Quinn is now kind of on her own, and she's with Ivy, which I love. I love Harley and Ivy's uh, chemistry in every medium animation comics whatever they're always great together and that is um that is reflected here because they're great all the scenes that they're with each other their energy matches up really well because harley is very uh high energy and ivy is very low uh they also um talk about some of the stuff that I don't think we normally get a whole lot when it comes to Poison Ivy's character, the fact that she's an introvert, that she hates people. Um, as an extroverted introvert myself, uh, there are a lot of times watching Ivy where I was like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel you. And I think that's that her character is going to resonate with a lot of people, especially if you're the streaming type like I am. Um Overall, really, really like that first episode. The Joker, especially, I didn't think I was going to uh, like it as much as I did because um, I've talked about it before on this podcast. I'm a little burnt out with Joker and Harley stories, but this one, you know, is a new and fresh take that we ha- we don't really see a whole lot um, when it comes to you know, oh, Joker and Harley are breaking up. It's always like a until next time, and. You know, the first episode really plays with that as well, you know, showing that Harley is, you know, kind of um, under the Joker's spell in this um, Stepford way, and I really dug that, and I really dug that the first episode was really about her um, escaping from that, and her, you know, fighting solace with Ivy, uh, the second episode I thought was really fun, because they, uh, they introduced Kite Man, my favorite, my favorite Batman villain, Kite Man, hell yeah, like, I am so excited that he's a part of this show, I had no idea, I, if I had seen it, in a commercial, I forgot because I was so surprised and so excited to see Kite Man and getting uh, this time with characters like uh, like Kite Man, like Bane, like Penguin, uh, all of these characters that you either do have a pretty good idea of or you've maybe heard them uh heard about them once or twice uh getting a spotlight on them because you know harley runs in that crew uh was really cool also um this feels very uh dr horrible to me uh dr horrible sing-along one of my favorite um neil patrick harris performances where harley is trying really hard to get into the legion of doom and they just kind of see her as like a sidekick so i i liked it i liked it it a lot um also making penguin jewish i don't know why i don't know if it's ever been established that he's jewish i don't know if that's ever been a take that we've seen before but i absolutely love it um the entire second episode is kind of centered around um harley and ivy attending the penguin's son's bar mitzvah i think um and Harley tries to steal from the Gotham Mint. Uh, it's it's a great episode. It really, really is. I think episode two is probably my favorite out of the three. Um, but really, really good stuff. I also really dig this version of Bane. Um, he has the uh, Tom Hardy like, Oh, you were born in darkness kind of voice. But um, it's played for laughs. It's played... Um, for him not realizing how silly he sounds. And he's also 
unfortunately, I think. He's also a little dim-witted, and he's really, a lot of times, the butt of uh, jokes within the Legion of Doom. When he's like, I think at one point that he literally goes, That's not what I sound like, is it? Oh my god. Like, I... Oh, it's so good. Bane is also one of my favorite Batman villains, and um, the treatment that they're giving him here is really, really good. Uh, Episode 2 really is kind of a showcase for a bunch of uh, Batman's rogues gallery, which I really enjoyed. Um, Then Episode 3 kind of focuses on Harley now that she's established herself away from the Joker. Um, She needs a crew. She needs to set herself up with a crew, and so we get to see more minor uh, Batman villains like Maxi Zeus, um, which I just, I loved. I loved so much. He's very much the, um, the self-help guy who's, you know, selling out theaters, telling people how they've got to, you know, take their, take their destiny by the balls. And like, it's really, really cool, um, getting these new updated versions of these characters, these new takes that we may not have seen before. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and I can't remember his name. I think he's, um, I'm actually going to look this up right now. Um, And episode three also has a focus on Harley Quinn kind of dealing with like sexism in the um, what's it called in the uh, sexism in the workplace, I guess, when it comes to other villains, like other villains kind of seeing not just Harley Quinn as a joke, but women leading a crew as a joke as well. Uh, and I really liked how they played with that. I liked how um, Harley ha- had to deal with that when she goes to ask Maxi Zeus, you know, what do I need to do? He basically, you know, sexually harasses her and she's just like, okay, I'm leaving. And it's just, again, it's taking, you know, tropes we've seen in other media, uh, other stories, and really applying them to a character who can be a blank slate for the kind of stories that you can tell for her. Uh, another. Uh, really big uh, player in episode 3 is Dr. Psycho who um, makes some choice comments live on TV and has to deal with the uh, PR backlash from that that's all I'm going to say and then they also um, they bring in Clayface and I I love Clayface and this version of Clayface specifically i hope they hold on to him and i hope he appears in more stuff uh or more episodes of this show because this version who is just like a thespian and he's constantly like shape-shifting into other characters when they go and they try to uh steal from maxi zeus he um they they want him to um you know, morph into a mailman just to take Maxi Zeus's attention away. But not only does he turn into a mailman, he's a mailman who is now putting on the performance that he is Maxi Zeus's long lost son. And just the conversation that they have, you know, he's g- going just all in on this character. I, it's so good. And as like an actor, it just makes, makes my heart sing watching uh, one of the lesser, uh, I guess one of the lesser known aspects of that character really, really shine. So overall, I really dug these three episodes. Like I said, I think it could be established as like a three episode pilot or three part pilot because uh, it really sets up everything you need to know going into this the rest of the series. And I will be watching when the new episodes drop every Friday. So I'm looking forward to it now and I'm kind of glad that um, that 
this option, you know, dual one in the poll. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, that's going to do it for the weekly review for this week. Uh, overall, I again, I really, really liked it. I liked it way more than I thought I was going to, and I'm looking forward to seeing new episodes from Harley Quinn. Next week, uh, our weekly review is going to be changed up just a little bit, a little something special because it is the Christmas episode, so definitely look forward to that. And for now, let's hop on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is a segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis of each book. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you would like me to try out for this segment, Feel free to request that on either of our social medias at GeeksplainPod. That's at GeeksplainPod on Twitter or Instagram, or through email because I'm an old man. I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And the book that really uh, spoke to me was. Batman Curse of the White Knight, number five of eight, written and illustrated by Sean Gordon Murphy. Uh, this book has really been firing on all cylinders. It really has. Um, I was pleasantly surprised uh, just how good this book was. I thought for sure Far Sector uh, issue two was going to be my book of the week, but uh, this one really blew me away. This has been setting up the inevitable... Uh, confrontation between Batman and Azrael, and by the end of the issue, we get Asbat. Uh, really excited. Jean-Paul Valley is finally wearing uh, this version of the Asbat armor, and I am so ready for this throwdown to happen. Uh, it's also um, kind of showing off the multiple uh, bad things that have happened in the last uh, couple issues with both Jim Gordon uh, being killed, uh, Barbara Gordon being nearly pretty much paralyzed, I think. And everything is really gearing up for a big, possibly three-way showdown between Batman, Azrael, and the Joker. There's also a really great scene between uh, the Joker and Harley here uh, doing their, um, it's like a visitation while Jordan, Jordan, while Joker is uh, imprisoned. So really, really dug that. Uh, the art is always spectacular. I love this rendition of Gotham. I love this world. And I'm really excited for issue six. But that's last week. Let's talk about this week. And this week, just like our big discussion, is giant-sized. Um, all the comics companies, I think, just went, you know what? Let's save all of our comics for the last week um, of 2019, uh, especially because next week, I believe, is Christmas. Uh, we'll, it will be our Christmas episode, so look forward to that. Um, so I don't think we're getting any comics next week. I could be wrong. Um, I will check right now, but pretty much I think that it's going to be... Um, it's going to be this. This is pretty much it. Uh, we're going to be getting a 
Uh, let me check here. Oh, I guess it does look like we're going to be getting um, some Marvel books, it looks like. Yeah, it looks like we're going to be getting some Marvel books next week, so uh, we'll talk about that uh, next week, I guess, but they're not going to be um, on Wednesday, which is Christmas. So um, this pretty much is the end, especially for DC Comics, of not just the week, or not just the, uh, the year, but the decade. So they went all in, and we have, count this, we have 14 books to talk about. Um, this is going to be a long one. This episode I can already feel is going to be a long one. So uh, we're going to dive right into it. And we are starting off with a new number one, which is Star Wars The Rise of Kylo Ren number one. Written by Charles Sewell with art by Will Sliney. Slaney? I mispronounced your name, and I apologize. But uh, with Star Wars hype at an all-time high right now, especially this week, um, I think it's apropos that we are getting a book on one of the most interesting characters coming out of the uh, sequel trilogy. So I'm really excited about this. Let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. With Ben Solo's fall comes Kylo Ren's rise. Young Ben Solo is legendary Jedi Luke Skywalker's most promising pupil, as the son of Rebel Alliance heroes Leia Organa and Han Solo, as well as Luke's own nephew, Ben has the potential to be a great force for light in the galaxy. But the Skywalker legacy casts a long shadow. The currents of the dark side run deep, and Darth Vader's blood runs in Ben's veins. Voices call from both his past and his future, telling him who he must be. He will shatter, he will be reforged, his destiny will be revealed. Snoke awaits. The Knights of Ren await. Ben Solo's path to his true self begins here. So yeah, this is basically um, a prequel to the sequel trilogy, kind of filling some of the gaps between episode 6 and episode 7, talking about uh, Ben Solo's fall from grace and becoming kylo ren so i'm really looking forward to it uh i think kylo ren's one of the best characters to come out of the sequel trilogy and getting a full-on uh introduction to him is going to be really really cool next up we have legion of superheroes number two written by brian michael bendis with art by ryan sook um i will say the first issue didn't knock my socks off but I am looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to seeing where exactly they go. Um, I still think Legion of Superheroes is an incredible property, and there is a lot of potential for awesome stories with this series. So, um, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Let's jump into the synopsis here. It's been 1,000 years since anyone has seen the oceans of the Earth, but with Aquaman's original trident recently discovered, a chase to control Earth's future tears across the galaxy. All this and the reunion you'd never thought you'd see. Another DC sci-fi epic into the far-flung future like you've never seen before. Flubbed a little there. But um, yeah, so Aquaman's trident, 
apparently is a long sought after relic. So uh, we'll see. We'll see exactly what happens here. Next up, we have History of the Marvel Universe, number six of six, written by Mark Wade with art by Javier Rodriguez. Uh, this is it. This closes out the History of the Marvel Universe. Um, again, I know that a lot of people are waiting for the trade to come out, but if you are like me and you're a completionist, you want to pick up every single chapter of this. And uh, this is it. This ends off the big History of the Marvel Universe going into today and possibly beyond. So let's jump into the synopsis here. From the stories of today to the end of the Marvel Universe, the grand finale has only one promise to make. No one gets out alive. So that sounds ominous. Uh, <laughs> um, this is going to be, like I said, going into the modern day. So I'm looking forward to this and really interested to see uh, what revelations are made as we head towards the end of the road. Next up, we have Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 6 of 12. We're at the halfway mark. Uh, written by Matt Fraction with art by Steve Lieber. This book has just been so good. Um, it's even won the coveted pick of the week of last week as well uh with the previous issue with last issue i believe so um i'm really digging this book and it's only going to get better from here i think so let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here meanwhile in gotham city the great olsen batman prank war rages on an old favorite returns to make heads or tails of just what the heck has been going on Jimmy does some funny fraction stuff. Batman is there too, doing some Lieber stuff. Lex Luthor's kicking around. It's a whole thing. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that pretty much tells you what's going to happen. Um, it sounds like pretty much every other issue that's happened. So, um, And that's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. So I'm looking forward to this for sure. Next up, we have Marauders number 4, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Lolly. Uh, last issue was great. It was fantastic. I loved it. Um, furthering the... Um, kind of the power struggle between the White Queen, the Red Queen, and the Red, and the Black King with the introduction, or the reintroduction, I guess, of Shinobi Shaw. So um, this is going to be good. I'm looking forward to this. Let's jump into the synopsis here. Salt Water and Hellfire, the new Black Bishop of the Hellfire Club. Sebastian Shaw recruits a new Black Bishop, continuing with his machinations against the two Queens of the Hellfire Club. Meanwhile, Captain Kate and her marauders wreak havoc on the high seas from the Atlantic to the Pacific in the name of the mutant cause. So again, this book has been great. I'm really looking forward to this. The very um, Game of Thrones-esque political intrigue between the three... Um, the three uh, leads of this book has been really good, and I'm looking forward to see what they do next. Uh, next up, we have Batman Superman number five, written by Joshua Williamson with art by David Marquez. This is the first of a uh, one, two, three punch uh, situation that we've got going on this week. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Batman Who Laughs has unleashed his secret six. 
Now these infected heroes threaten to spread their dark infection across our world, and the only thing that might stop them is the combined might of the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel. If they fail, the planet will become the seed that grows a new dark multiverse. Heroes will fall, villains will rise, and a new era dawns for the DCU in this explosive first arc finale that leads directly into Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, this book has been gorgeous the entire time. Uh, David Marquez has been absolutely killing it at art, and the writing from Joshua Williamson has been stellar as well. Um, again, this is the first of a three-part uh, thing that's going to be happening this week, so let's go ahead and dive into part two, which is Justice League number 38, written by Scott Snyder with art by George Jimenez and Francis Manipal. Um, this is it. This is the big uh, finale for Justice Doom War. So let's hop into the synopsis here. Justice Doom War finale. Lex Luthor is triumphant. Perpetua is back to full power and ready to take on the multiverse, to bend and twist the whole of existence to suit doom. Has the Justice League finally come up against a foe they can't defeat? Perpetua is the mother of their universe after all, the original creator. In war, there can only be one winner, and it just may be Doom's turn to collect the spoils. This issue leads directly into Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen. So, uh, again, like, heading into uh, Hell Arisen, which is going to be, I think, the next big chapter of the Year of the Villain. Uh, this book has been so good. Like, so freaking good. Uh, this is also uh, Scott Snyder and George Jimenez's last issue on the mainline Justice League book before they head off into their own respective directions. I'm sad to see them go, but they had a wonderful ride on this book. Uh, the Justice Doom War changed the world up, I think, a lot. And everything that's happened here from introducing, you know, elements of the multiverse again to reintroducing the Justice Society into the DC Universe proper uh, makes me happy. And I'm really excited to see what this book does and how they stick the landing with this uh, Justice Doom War. So next up, we have Year of the Villain Hell Arisen, number one of four, written by James Tynan IV with art by Steve Epting. Uh, this is the continuation of both of the previous books' conclusions. I haven't read any of these books as I am um, talking about this, so I'm really looking forward to see how this all kind of uh, runs into each other. So um, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. DC's Year of the Villain begins its sinister conclusion. Lex Luthor has brought Perpetua back from her cosmic grave and restored her power. Now the multiverse lives in fear that she might wipe out all of existence. The only thing that could stop her are the forces of the Dark Multiverse, which means it's Luthor's mission to defeat the Batman who laughs. But if Batman and Superman couldn't stop him, what chance does Luthor stand? Spinning out of the end of Justice Doom War and Justice League number 38 and the conclusion of the epic infected arc from the Batman Superman number 5, DC's two top villains face off in a battle royale, and the fate of all reality hangs in the balance. So, um, that might 
technically, I guess, be a spoiler for the previous two books because it doesn't doesn't sound like the heroes are winning this. Um, we'll see exactly what happens, but um, this is definitely going to be a book to pick up, especially if you've been keeping up with all of the uh, Year of the Villain stuff. Next up, we have uh, another big conclusion. We have King Thor, number four of four, written by Jason Aaron with art by Asad Ribic. Um, this is it. This is the end of not just the King Thor book, but also uh, Jason Aaron's run, his amazing run on uh, Thor. If you check out, if you checked out, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, you know that his run on Thor was one of my top ten favorite comics of the decade. So this is monumental. This is really big. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to conclude, but I um, I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it. Yeah my uh man i'm getting all kinds of tongue tied today so uh let's jump into the synopsis here the final chapter of the years spanning award-winning saga the sun has gone black midgard isn't far behind the entire multiverse is dying and with it the last of the gods a millennium ago the god of thunder heard a whisper gore was right. Now Gore, the god of god butchers, ascends to his final murder, the all-father of all existence. Plus, a who's who of Jason's past Thor collaborators and a few surprise guests help close out the story in thunderous style. So this sounds like a big celebration of Jason Aaron's run on the uh, character. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be really, really good. So um, yeah, really excited. Next up, we have Flash Forward, number four of six, written by Scott Lebdell with art by Brett Booth. Um, this book's been good so far. I uh, I can't say it's been you know knocking it out of the park, but the books or the previous issues I think I've really enjoyed. Um, again buy this book please even if you don't like wally west just buy the book for me as your humble podcast supplier um i really want this book to succeed because i want wally west to succeed and i just i want the best for him in this landscape of comics dumb so um yeah with that plea out of the way that i give you every single time this book pops up in this segment let's jump into the synopsis here On Wally West's journey in the depths of the multiverse, he's run across vampires and hellhounds and his own ghosts from the past, but nothing has prepared him for the next stop on his journey. In this issue, the mysterious world that is causing the dark multiverse to bleed to our own will be revealed, and you will not believe what connection it has to the fastest man alive. Boom. That is a flash synopsis. Um, sounds like we're going to be finally getting some uh, answers into what has been going on, why the dark multiverse has been uh, invading the multiverse proper um there's a lot going on with this book with wally essentially kind of becoming the guardian of the multiverse so we'll see what happens i'm really looking forward to seeing what they do next with the character next up we have another big conclusion that being batman last night on earth number three of three this is not just concluding the batman last night on earth series but it is also concluding scott snyder and greg capullo's run on batman they have been doing books uh concerning batman pretty much since 2011 so this is an eight-year odyssey that has taken them from 
humble beginnings in uh, Gotham sewers all the way up into the dark multiverse and now back down into a horrific Mad Max-esque post-apocalyptic future. I really can't wait to see what they do with this, so let's jump into the synopsis here. Gotham City has been remade. Omega reigns supreme. Can Batman finally accomplish what no other hero has and free the world from his dark reflection's shadow? Or is it too late for the recreated Cape Crusader? So I'm looking forward to this. I, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while. I'm really excited to see what they do here. And uh, it's, it's going to be great. I cannot wait to see what they do. Next up, we have... Another book that I'm really freaking excited about, and that is Superman Smashes the Clan, number two of three, written by Jean Lun Ying with Art Beguri Hiru. I think I think I said that correctly. If I didn't, I apologize. But uh, the first issue knocked my socks off. I absolutely adored it. I'm really, really excited to see what they do uh, with the remaining two issues, and I cannot wait to pick this up. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Teenager Tommy Lee is missing, and Superman is on the case. It can't be a coincidence that just last night, Tommy bravely confronted the clan of the Fiery Cross when they surrounded the Lee family's metropolis house and told them to go back to Chinatown. The year is 1946, and Clark Kent is so new to being Superman that he hasn't yet learned to fly. So his search for Tommy is conducted in huge, gravity-defying leaps that make Tommy's sister Roberta suspect the men of tomorrow may not be an Earthling at all. But if this strange young hero can adjust to his adopted home, maybe she can too. First, though, they must stop the clan from blowing up Unity House, which has welcomed the Chinese-American Lee family into their community. But could the real target be across town, where Superman's friends Jimmy, Lois, and Perry work at the Daily Planet? Inspired by the 1940s Superman radio serial Clan of the Fiery Cross, Jin Lun Yang brings us part two of his personal retelling of the adventures of the Lee family as they team up with Superman to smash the clan. So I'm pretty freaking excited about this. Uh, <laughs> um, once again, I loved the first issue. If you haven't read that first issue, go back, pick it up. It is awesome. It is good old-fashioned Superman storytelling, and I'm really excited about this book. Another book I'm really excited about on the other end of the uh, Justice League spectrum is Batman number 85, written by Tom King with art by Mikkel Janin. Uh, this is it. This is the final Tom King issue in the Batman uh, main book before he jumps over to Batcat next year. And um, it's bittersweet. Uh, Tom King has really, I think, put his stamp on Batman for better or for worse. And I'm kind of sad to see him go because he has really dived deep into exploring really what kind of makes Bruce Wayne tick. So I... Even though I'm really, really excited for uh, James Tynan IV's run to start in January, I am sad to see Tom King go. Uh, I think City of Bane has been uh, good. Has been good. Um, I think there are definitely problems with it, but I'm really excited to see exactly what they do uh, to cap off Tom King's incredible 85-issue run with the book. So let's jump into the synopsis here. The stunning conclusion to City of Bane is here. 
How will Flashpoint Batman be vanquished from our dimension? What will become of Gotham Girl now that she's betrayed all she knows? How will the Bat Team cope without Alfred? Will Catwoman stick around? Who will rebuild Gotham City? Is Batman ever going to be Batman again? The event of the summer now closes out the year, setting the stage for a whole new path for the Dark Knight detective. You don't dare miss the extra-sized concluding chapter to Tom King's epic run on Batman, and it all leads to the new Batman and Catwoman series. So this is also supposed to have a, uh, a little epilogue leading into the uh, James Tynan run, which I'm, again, really, really excited about, but... Um, Really excited to see exactly what happens with this book, and I am looking forward to just how uh, Tom King's run with Batman ends. But the big book for me, the book I am anticipating the most this week, is another concluding chapter, and that is Doomsday Clock number 12 of 12. This book was supposed to wrap up last year. This book was supposed to... Um, bring us up to uh, modern day this book was supposed to be canon this book was supposed to uh, tell us all of the uh, secrets that happened between uh, new 52 and rebirth this book was supposed to be a lot of things but what i think it has been is consistently high quality i think the art has been stellar the writing has been great the um interplay between the characters from watchmen as well as the um the metatextual uh, narrative that's happened when it, especially when you're talking about like issue uh, 10 specifically, um, has been something that I think uh, a lot of people are going to remember this book for. And I'm excited that we finally get to conclude this chapter, uh, especially with the cliffhanger of last issue being Superman and Dr. Manhattan finally about to throw down. So I'm looking forward to this. Let's jump into the synopsis here. This is it. The final showdown between Dr. Manhattan and Superman shakes up the DC Universe to its very core. But can even the Man of Steel walk out from the shadow of Manhattan? So that's it. Simple. Uh, it's going to be a big throwdown this issue. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but I cannot wait to read it. And that does it for this giant-sized uh, uh, comics countdown. I don't think we've ever had this many books in one single segment let me check here we're over 25 minutes for just this segment alone so i'm really looking forward to all the books that we talked about here to recap all 14 of these books let's run them down first we have star wars the rise of kylo ren number one legion of superheroes number two history of the marvel universe number six of six superman's pal jimmy olsen number six of 12 marauders number four Batman Superman number 5, Justice League number 38, Year of the Villain Hell Arisen number 1 of 4, King Thor 4 of 4, Flash Forward number 4 of 6, Batman Last Night on Earth number 3 of 3, Superman Smashes the Clan number 2 of 3, Batman number 85, and Doomsday Clock number 12 of 12. So that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. Like I said, a lot of books. Um, my top five, I think, the last five that I mentioned are must-gets, especially Flash Forward, number four of six. 
Um, but I'm really excited for every single one of these 14 books. Uh, the wallet is going to take a hit. The uh, comics industry is going out with a bang, sending us into 2020 um, with a lot less in our bank account. But I'm really excited to see all of the comics that we are going to be picking up this week. And uh, without further ado, we're going to head on into the uh, the main course, the entree, if you will. And it is an oversized, giant-sized, all-you-can-eat buffet of an entree, which is our big discussion concerning uh, the Star Wars films. Uh, we're going to be joined by our very special guest, Jesse Pickering, one of my very good friends and probably the biggest Star Wars fan I know. So uh, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into ranking every Star Wars film ever. So we are here in the main course, the entree of this episode, which is ranking every single Star Wars film ever, except the Clone Wars, which we will talk about. Um, I am here with a very good brother, my good friend, Jesse Pickering. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. So um, we wanted to sit down. Uh, I want. I specifically want to sit down with you because uh, you are the biggest Star Wars fan that I know. Like you're sitting here in what is that? The um, the oh the, the Cassian Andor yep. jacket. Yeah. So he's sitting in a Cassian Andor jacket. For those who you can't see it because this is an audio only uh, platform. But he's sitting there. He's got what is that? The is that a Boba Fett? Backpack. Yep, Boba Fett Boba backpack. backpack. I have my uh, blue leader uh, pin. Of course you do. <laughs> so if you needed any kind of indication, and my Jedi <laughs> lanyard, <laughs> and underneath I have two jackets on, and the other one is also Star Wars related. And he's wearing a Star Wars T-shirt underneath it. So he is draped in three layers of Star Wars. <laughs> if you needed any kind of indication on his uh, his credibility as an authority on Star Wars. Oh, um, authority. Oof. So this is a uh, a ranking. We've done this in the past on the podcast, but this one's special because uh, we're recording this a little bit ahead of time. But we will be releasing this the week of Rise of Skywalker. Oh my uh, god! Episode nine. It's supposed to end the saga. It's supposed to end the Skywalker saga. How do you feel about that? We've gone through eight eight episodes soon to be nine of the skywalker saga how do you feel about it wrapping up i feel nervous because <laughs> like well <laughs> the like i feel like when i come into these movies i feel like the intended audience mm -hmm. because like i never know what they're gonna do and and like when it happens i'm in complete shock even though like everyone sitting next to me saw it a mile away <laughs> and and it's just like, I'm just going into it being like, oh, crap, what's going to happen next? Rilo better not happen. Uh. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'm asking. All I'm asking. We, we, we talked about this a little bit before we went live. Um, 
Jesse here is a uh, is a rail is a Raylo uh, uh, opponent, a Raylo detractor, if you will. Um, describe to me again. Describe to me why you why you are in as few or as many words as you want possible. Why you do not like Raylo? Because it's already starting off as an abusive relationship. True. Because <laughs> especially from Kylo's part. Because starting off, uh, she's like starting off when they first meet. What does he do? Tortures her uh, on True. like Starkiller base. Mm-hmm. Tortures her right. like mentally with the Force. That's not fun. Like first impressions, not that great. <laughs> they matter. First impressions matter. <laughs> and uh, uh, and then she escapes. They meet. A- well, they don't meet again until later. But the next time she sees him. Uh, he's, uh, killing his own father, uh, who just also so happens to be, like, her only father figure in her life at that time. Mm -hmm. And so, like, killing, metaphorically, both their dads. And, uh, not a, not a great second impression. Not a great second impression, no. And then, uh, they meet again, trying to escape this exploding planet. The third date. Yeah, yeah, third date is, uh, them fighting each other, but before that, him almost killing her only friend, Finn. But But it's so romantic, it's in the snow, in a forest, with the, uh, with the stars out at night. It's yeah. a really romantic setting. Uh, uh-huh. With the planet the that's exploding, crumbling, and uh, them, like, trying to kill each other, and he's trying to say, no, that lightsaber's mine. I want it. Give it. I love your conversation so much. It's so... It's spot on. It's spot on. And, and then, like, what was, like, after that, did he go home and be like, dear grandpapa, I met a girl today. She was beautiful. Powerful and respected, like you. I want to date her. We don't know that he didn't do that, by the way. <laughs> Just... And I have to say, to your point of an abusive relationship, yes, he is very verbally abusive to her. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation that... Um, Last Jedi? Last Jedi. He's very verbally abusive. She's physically abusive to him. She gave him that giant scar on his face. Because they were fighting but he with never lightsabers. Hurt he never physically hurt her. That's she because he's not ass. as skilled. <laughs> not as skilled as Ray? Yeah. Okay. Right. Ray bested her. Bested him. True. Ray bested True. him. Like, but sucks, he was, sucks the suck. He'd also been shot in the stomach and the shoulder at that point, too. So I mean, he went into that fight with that. Yeah, that's so true. So that that's was true. his... That's his bad. So... The, and this has been our discussion on the validity of Raylo. Uh, feel free to tune in next week where we actually get to our topic. <laughs> uh, this, this is normally how conversations between me and Jesse go. They go off the rails really quickly. But um, Star Wars is just full of wonderful, it, beautiful romances. Beautiful, excellent segue because now we're going to talk about... The other big romance in this story, which is Chewie and the Millennium Falcon. So tell that me is about- such a beautiful relationship. <laughs> Even though the relationship, well, we'll we'll see it further in Rise of the Skywalker when Lando returns to the mm-hmm. ship. And uh, speaking of the Millennium Falcon, Devil's Three Way. Uh, yep. <laughs> El- between L three, Chewie oh, and Lando. Oh, 
Poor L3. <laughs> oh, I love L3. Moment of silence for L3. All right, so we're going to talk about Anakin and Padme now. <laughs> Real quick, because he, he said he wanted to be on... Uh, he wanted the red light to be on and us to be recording when he talks about Anakin and Padme. So do it. So I just... the floor. Because, like, I was trying to watch... Because usually there's, like, that certain uh, fanboy order, which I still abide by, um, when you're introducing someone to Star Wars. Which is? <clears throat> which is uh, when they're released. Perfect. So you watch the original trilogy, then the prequels, and then everything else. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Easy to follow up. And uh, this time I was like, you know what? I want to watch the whole story unfold chronologically. And that's how I did it as well for this. And so I started off with the good old prequels. <laughs> Boy, was that rough. That's a rough watch. Like, you can't you can't watch that by yourself. It, like, it's what should have taken me, like, what should have took me, like, half a day took mm-hmm. me the entire day. Just because, <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, God, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like, cringing so much. I'm just going to pause it do something else watch some youtube <laughs> like eat eat lunch like have a huge lunch break that also involves not watching star wars <laughs> and i finally got through it and then like i wanted to watch uh i wanted to watch like at least most of the films before coming into this right. but i could only get into watching the prequels rogue one and solo okay and a new hope which i just saw this morning got it and uh just man that prequels took a lot of that time that's tough it's a tough watch it is such a tough it's it is a tough watch and like especially attack of the clones well hate sand and a little bit of Of course oh okay we gotta start off with phantom menace and it gets spitting game at nine years old are Are you you an an angel angel? (laughs) like yes wow that kid knew what he was about (laughs) he knew he knew who he wanted (laughs) at nine years old and she was 14, and I only then know that because of Weird Al Yankovic song. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. Yep. And then and then we skip over to Attack of the Clones with, like, su- like everything that he said to Padme. It's really creepy. Whether it's flirting or just talking about himself and his whining. It's really It's creepy. all red flag stuff. All red flag stuff. Like, like the, the, the scene, and I had completely forgotten about this before re-watching it but there's a scene where they're getting it's like pretty quickly after they've met again for the first time again um and he's like talking to her about like like it's great seeing you again blah 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 like i'm feeling something towards you and she goes don't look at me like that and he goes like like what and it's like that immediate like response uh... and then she walks away and he goes I'm sorry, my lady. And then, like, the camera, like, lingers on him with it's these, like, like creepy mm, stalker eyes. Ooh. And it's like, oh, yeah, I like, don't like that. Like, he's really, like he's really stalk, like, really, like, very much a stalker. Mm-hmm. And, like, it cannot shut up about talking about her to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then when he talks about himself, all he's doing is whining about, like, how... <laughs> They don't Obi-Wan let Obi Wan doesn't let him do things, and it's just like you whining like this is the reason why you can't do the things you want to do. You're acting like a child, and you want to do big boy stuff. It's not fair. It's like God. And what did Padme see in him? I don't know. 
And like, and on, uh, on Naboo, when they're hiding away, uh, the whole like scene where he's writing that whatever that is, whatever that is, we never really he gets get an trampled. Answer. She gets worried about him, and he's like, oh, "Just kidding, I'm fine." Like going through a traumatic experience like that, and then be like, "J.K. lulls." You want to talk about an abusive relationship? Like that is textbook of like, "Care about me, or I'll die." Ha! I didn't die because you cared about me. Oh my gosh. And it's, and it's like, we shouldn't, but I'm going to step closer. But at the same time, progressively through those scenes, her outfits become skimpier as they go. And she's also going like, but I'm a senator in her nightgown or her like black bondage outfit where she's like, we can't. I'm a senator. Oh, I mean, you right. You right. But it's like, it's both of them. They're both equally awful. And it's like, like I'm so used to like Clone War series, Anakin where and Where they're Padme, so much better. Where it's like so an much actual better. relationship that you can back. Yeah. And then you go back to the movies and you're like, this is a really this is bad, this, like Padme needs to get out of that situation yeah. fast. I was, I was watching, um, I was watching the arc with the uh, the malevolence, like this big. Those of you who haven't watched Clone Wars, it's this big dreadnought that the uh, Separatist army has, and they have basically this EMP cannon that like shoots out EMP, blasts whatever. Um, Padme and three PO get trapped on this big dreadnought, and Anakin, because he's Anakin, goes in to save her, even though it's definitely not the plan that they should be doing. So him and Obi Wan both go in. <laughs> Obi-Wan goes to rescue uh, 3PO because he gets hit by some train because 3PO getting just destroyed is easy comedy. It is such a thing. It is. I feel so bad for him. Yeah, it's awful. But Anakin goes and he rescues Padme. And there's this moment where, you know, after he swung and caught her and they sat down and he just goes, the things you'll do to get me alone with you. And it was like, that's just like, God, you guys are cute. You guys are cute. (laughs) Yeah, like, like. Clone Wars series, Padme and Anakin, I could totally back that relationship. Yeah. But, like, just watching the movies alone, mm-hmm. I, like, my fr- a friend pointed this out to me, and then I, like, agree with it, and it's very sad and really hard for me to say this. Do it. Um, But you know how we always say that at least this is a better love story than Twilight? Oh, no. Like, I can, this is sad to say. But there is a Star Wars romance. No. That is a worse no. relationship. No. Because, like, think about this. Because, like, at least with, like, Twilight, they were obsessed with each other. And, like, he was trying to look out for her well-being and trying not to turn her into a vampire, even though she really wanted it. And it was, like, really weird. She's, like, really obsessive and weird. <laughs> but, like, they weren't abusive to each other. Weren't they? They were really stalkery towards weren't each other. They? they were really stalkery towards each other. And she got way too involved into his life. Yes. But, like, they were... But, like, Anakin was super stalkery, too. Yeah. And it was, like... And they got married. So did... So did Edward and Bella. Was that their names? Yes. Okay. I'm like, wow. I I remember their names. (laughs) It, It was... It's weird and sad that that's a better love story. Than Anakin and movie Anakin and Padme. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, make sure you tweet at us with whether we are 
incorrect or not on uh, Edward and Bella being a better Edward and Bella being a better. Uh, it's it's not by far, folks. It's not by far. I would love to hear everyone weigh in on this. There, it's hitting two fandoms at war with each it's, other. It's a very it's a very low bar. Yes. Both of them are at a very low bar when it comes to that romance, like their romances. They're not great romances, either one of them. So speaking of the Clone Wars, um, I want to make this clear for everybody who's listening to this right now that um, the theatrically released Clone Wars film is not going to be on the list. Not going to be on my list, not going to be on your list. It is an honorable mention because it is something that kind of sparked the series that came after it. It's a fantastic pilot for that series. Yes. Uh, The art style, you know, the storytelling, it's very much, you can break it into like three pieces and it can be like a three part pilot for this show. Absolutely. But. Uh, we are ranking the live-action films, the films that everyone looks at and thinks of when it comes to the Star Wars films, uh, ranking them from 10 to 1, because so far there have been 10 films. There will be an 11th this coming uh, week as of the release of this episode. Um, so we're going to dive into it. We're almost uh, we're almost headed to 20 minutes into this discussion. So... <laughs> I told good, you. Good. I told good. you. We go off the rails. We talk about everything, um, and I'm sure that this is going to devolve at some point as well. Uh, but, of course, absolutely. Um, I think it's a pretty easy. Um, it's a pretty easy estimate to say that we both probably have the same movie at number ten. So on three, we're going to say it. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Attack Phantom of the Clones. Menace. Okay. Yep. All right. So, so, I mean, I mean, Phantom Menace is not far behind. Okay. So, um, starting I was, off, I was actually like trying to think <laughs> of number ten as you were doing this entire like the crap. Countdown. Is it is it episode one or episode two? So, um, <laughs> at number ten, you have Attack of the Clones. Tell mm-hmm. me, tell me why. Tell me why it's your worst out of all of them. That red flag relationship, like <laughs> yes. it's it's ninety percent of the movie, mm-hmm. and I was cringing in every moment. And that movie made it the hardest to actually finish the prequels. Like fair, uh, when I was but watching, you were halfway there. I know, <laughs> and like it was like I that relationship. Anakin's opinions of Obi Wan. It was just like it was just like very like doesn't make sense, right? And uh, thankfully, uh, uh, Jar Jar was not in it as much as he was in Phantom Menace, but, like, that romance is just, like, terrible. Yikes. I, and just, like, and Padme's requirement to have a different outfit in every (laughs) single scene she's in baffles me. Great outfits, but great like, costume design. Yeah, great costume design. But like, really, every single scene is a different outfit. Like yeah. she changes like five times a day. It's tough being a senator. And man. her hair is different. Every single one of those. I hope that the costume department and the hair and makeup department got a raise <laughs> on that film. Because like, they had to okay, do what she so looked like before. Much. No, 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 no. 
We can't do anything like that. Remember that? We'll forget it and do something new. (laughs) So that is your number 10. My number 10 is Phantom Menace, episode one. And there are some key reasons why Attack of the Clones just edges out Phantom Menace for me. Okay. So um, first off, the CGI is aged so bad. Mm. Even like, and I'll... I'll preface this with I watched almost all of these films on my free trial period for Disney Plus, <laughs> um, which includes basically remastering all of the films, uh, including the original trilogy and the prequels. And in high definition, that CGI on episode one is god awful. <laughs> And there was no more a moment that I realized, like, that I kind of had to lean back and say, what the hell am I watching? Than the Gungan versus Droid Army fight. Because that's all CGI. And it's all awful CGI. It's so ugly to look at nowadays. And granted, in 1999, this is the greatest CGI ever. Oh, it's like they're really there. But, like, nowadays, it's bad yeah it's not that great it's not good and then of course as you said before jar 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 really drags this whole movie down oh my god and just all of the like really bad cultural appropriation that they did for both the gungans and the trade federation was really bad like as as an asian american man watching the trade federation Ooh, new gun ray Oof. How did they get past our shields? Like, oh, oh, it made my blood boil. Oh, I was cringing during that I was too. Like, this I was is like, oh, bad. God. So, I didn't like that. Um, I will say that out of all of the prequels, I think uh, Phantom Menace does have the best lightsaber duel, which mm-hmm. is Duel of the Fates. Agreed. Qui Gon and Obi Wan against Darth Maul. However. That is, for me, the only saving grace for this film. Rewatching the pod race, I was really excited. I was like, I'm gonna, I can't wait. I have great memories of the pod race. Let's watch this. I realized something, and I want to run this by you and see if you've noticed this too. When you're watching the pod race, besides cutaways to the crowd, cutaways to the, uh, the racers' faces... Every single shot is from left to right. Left to right. Shot to Anakin's face. Pods left to right. Shot to the crowd. Pods left to right. Every single shot is like the same shot. And watching it, I was stunned. I was sitting there watching it going, is that the same? Did they just reuse that? Like... I didn't what even realize this? that. And it do, it doesn't it obviously breaks up a little bit um right at the end when it's just Anakin and Sebulba. But watching it I was like I'm bored by a pod race and I shouldn't be bored by a pod race. See, I was I was analyzing the pod race in a different way. Okay, tell me. Like I wasn't paying attention to well like I thought the CGI was enough. Um <laughs> <laughs> was enough like like it was enough to enjoy it okay uh but like st- i agree uh and <laughs> that's bad <Babs. laughs> 
Our audience is well acquainted with Babs. She likes like, to make her appear. Anakin known. so easily passed like the same three pod racers. Yeah. And like I know pod racing is a dangerous sport. But like 90% of the racers died. Yeah. Like how do these pod racers get a rep if most of them die? That's why Sabalba is the only one that people pay attention to. Because he's he the only one that's everybody. <laughs> yeah, he just and murders like, hear, everyone else. Well, and you hear, like, in that film, like, everyone's just like, well, maybe Annie will finish a pod race this time. And I'm like, how did this kid survive and, like, pod races and, like this? Well, and, and that, and just, like, Anakin won that race because there was no one left to face. <laughs> Correct. He, like, there were other pod racers, and they, they were right behind them, and they didn't get destroyed. I tried to keep track of who, like, who's who was pod, alive. Yeah, whose <laughs> pod racers didn't crash. And, like, Gazgano and uh, Timo, I only know these names because of the pod racing video game. Yes. Uh, and, like, these, these two were my favorite pod racers to play as in the games, and Fair. they survived the entire... I didn't even realize that they survived... The entire thing. They did. Like, I, you didn't see... Oh, no. Timo crashed. <laughs> Timo crashed, but not Gazgano. Okay. Gazgano was the green uh, the green pod racer. Oh. Where, like, he had, like, four arms and yes. super lanky. That's right. Okay. He was my favorite pod racer <laughs> as a kid and still. Uh, it's I love cool design. Yeah. I love his pod racer. And he never crashed. But he was, like, right behind Anakin and Sebulba. But then when the race finishes, you it's never see him. It's just the two of them. Like, where did he go? Where are the other racers that were far behind? Like, did they just celebrate and the race didn't even finish? So coming in 2021, Gozgano, <clears throat> a Star Wars story, <laughs> is happening. No. And we're going to find out just what happened to him at the end of that podcast. That's where it's <laughs> like, going to start. It's, it's things I'm very curious about that no one else cares about except me. And but, like, the, for, I mean, like, episode one, it's... Where, whatever happened to Gazgano. Like, that is, and did he finish that race? <laughs> fair. And for me, like, I... The second act of Phantom Menace is so hard for me because it's when they go to Coruscant mm -hmm. and it's all of the, like, let's the, have a... Let's have an entire act, nearly an hour, of these people talking politics. And there is a moment where I'm sitting there watching them talk politics and every so often it cuts back to... Uh, the Jedi Council, who are just sitting in this circle in a building. And I'm sitting there going, who could find this fun or entertaining? And only three of the members talk at yeah! all. Yeah! Oh, like, like, it's just Chaoti Mundi, Yoda, and Windu are the only ones on the council that are, like, the speaking voices of this entire council. Yeah, and it's so cool, like, seeing a younger Yoda, but it's, like, at the same time, like... It kind of takes some there's of the mystique stinking, away. There's a stinking female Yoda species Yoda. Yeah. Yaddle. She's on the council. She, ne she never speaks. Never says anything. We've also got, I think, isn't, uh, isn't Plo Koon? Yeah, Plo Koon's a part Plo of it. Plo Koon's there. He doesn't, Viva he, Palaba. Like, these are characters that are really they, cool. Yeah, and they don't... They don't say anything. Half of them don't talk until uh, episode two. Yeah. And then some of them never talk, never have a speaking role at all in the movies, but have such important parts in the Clone Wars series. Lokoon is so cool. He's so cool. Um, but I realized something I, 
I thought was really funny was as the prequels go on, you start to see Mace. You start to see not Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson become more less <laughs> and less about being Mace Windu and more about, about being, being Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson. Absolutely, because in this first movie, he's very reserved. He's very like the council does not agree with this. He's then, he's still slightly Samuel Jackson, but not yeah. not quite. And then we jump to episode three, where he's like, "Yeah, you're gonna get a seat on the council, but we ain't granting you the status of master, motherfucker." And it's like, like oh, if he's a Sith Lord, and you told me this, I believe you. I mean, like very Samuel Jackson, like very like Samuel Jackson. All right, like, Hold I believe your butts. Yeah, We're like do this. <laughs> Just like jeez. But it's it's so funny just like watching that and I'm sitting there and the movie knows that this part sucks because when they're like, all right, we're heading back to Naboo, Jar Jar goes, we're going home! And the music swells and it's like, all right, kids, you're back into it. Here we go. And it's just, it's really hard. Like that was the hardest part for me. Um uh, and, Sam, and not Sammy not Cannon. not Jar Jar Binks's whole introduction. That's not it's the most bad. It's bad, but at least things are happening. They're not sitting in a Senate going. Well, I think you should tell them that you put a vote of no confidence for the Supreme Chancellor, and it's like, who cares? It's how it's how it's how our great uh great uh Pappy gets into becoming the emperor. Do it off screen. They do the whole <laughs> voting him out, and suddenly, oh, Palpatine's elected by the end of the film. They do all of that off screen. Why can't they just do the whole? I guess because, just, because it you, you gotta watch it you gotta watch how the senate Why? runs this senate that gets dissolved in a new hope you gotta watch it Why? and it's in its republic glory days yeah you gotta see et and in, in the senate oh that was the best part it was the only good part about that but like watching it i was just i was struck by how bad this film is because i always thought you know it's gonna beat out attack of the clones because it's got darth maul and Darth Maul is incredible. He's fantastic. It, he does so much with so little. The lightsaber duel at the end is incredible. But this film does the most egregious thing that I could think of in the prequels that Attack of the Clones does not do. It sidelines Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. There is an entire section when they're Obi- on Tatooine but, but Liam, where Obi-Wan has to sit on the boat. But Liam Neeson. Yeah, bring <laughs> Obi-Wan with you. He's your Padawan learner. He's learning He's... <laughs> from you. We, you set it up in A New Hope. How? That's too oh, many people no, to put listen. in one frame. You... you <laughs> ju- but they set up in A New Hope like, oh yes, I was best friends with your daddy, Anakin. But it's like here, they don't even meet until, until they're like, heading to Coruscant. Like, hello there. And they don't even have a relationship until Attack of the Clones. Yep. And it's like, that could have been spent with like the two of them in tattooing. Yeah, fine, you want to bring Podmate, whatever. Having the two of them be like, man, I sure do hate being a slave and having to follow around this guy who thinks he I'm knows better than me. I'm not a slave, and my name is Anakin. Well, no, but then him being just like, yeah, I sure hope, I sure hate you know, being told what to do all the time, and Obi-Wan being like, 
Well, I hate being told what to do all the time, too. <laughs> even though it is Liam Neeson. And then they can bond over that. It's like, it's... It just, it bothered me so much. And the only reason, really for me, that Attack of the Clones beats this out is because it puts such a big focus on Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And that's why I'll, okay. I'll jump that's, into... That's, that's fair. We'll jump into the number nine, since now we know that we've interchanged them. Um, number nine for me is Attack of the Clones. And I just... it For all of the... I hate sand moments in that film and for it being a terrible romance we had tons of Jedi doing things in this film we had the Kamino battle between Jango Fett and Obi-Wan I love Kamino as a planet I think it's really cool even though most of it's in hallways like Cloud City Um, having Obi-Wan go through this detective like this mystery LA noir (laughs) galaxy's edge version of like a detective story of like obi-wan doing stuff um introducing the incredible christopher lee as darth tyrannus slash count dooku was a wonderfully inspired choice um and even the lightsaber duels that do happen the lightsaber duel between um obi-wan anakin and dooku even though at this point like uh george lucas was like I'm going to do something really artsy, and I'm going to have them swinging lightsabers, but it's only going to be close-ups on their face with the colors. Oh, I hated that, that bothered me. Everything, that bothered like, me. Everything about that fight was pretty good. It was pretty good. Even and, Obi-Wan being like, Anakin, he throws him his lightsaber, and Anakin's dual-wielding. Yeah, I was like, get him! And yeah, then and there's, like, this. emotion behind it, and, like, the, like, they tried to show emotion through that weird scene of the... Yeah. Yeah, just swinging above their Like, heads. never clashing. But it's just, like, close-up on their face with, like, green, red, and blue lights going in front of them. He was trying so hard to make it an art house scene, and it just didn't work. But we got Jango Fett, who is, I feel, way better than Boba Fett. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. But I like Jango Fett, and it also introduced the clone troopers, which become just as big a part of um, Star Wars lore as I think the Jedi at this point, especially with the Clone Absolute, Wars. Absolutely. Um, we also got to see a Jedi behead somebody. Mace Windu lops off Jango Fett's head, and then later, and I thought this was really weird, and I didn't realize how weird it was until I actually like rewatched it. Um, Lifting the Boba head. <laughs> picks up the helmet, which has not moved from when... Mace Windu beheads him, and a head that's, just doesn't drop out. That's a of really the helmet. secure helmet. Very secure. Do you <laughs> that think is he realized? that is that is fitted. Do you think he tried to like put it on and realize like, oh, oh god, god, there's oh something god. in here. Oh, that would be awful. No, like, I, I I feel like Boba is smarter than that. He is. <laughs> okay. All right. There there are reasons to prove that Boba is smart and does make smart moves. But we do get um, some really, I think, visually interesting moments. The chase scene through the city, the speeder chase, I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. visually at least. Uh, we get the great scene of, uh, hey, you want to buy some death sticks? Don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell them. want to go home and sticks. rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. I love that. That's such a funny... And then... A funny, a, pa- a funny note, like, 
get off cigarettes, kids, PSA. Yes. And it's very, <laughs> it's very like, low-profile, low-key, played like, this is a great moment, we move on. We don't make it a, ah! Uh, ah hey, kiddos! Um, but I just, I liked it. We also get, like, a quick moment where, like, once again, Obi-Wan walks into a bar, lops off somebody's arm, and then they continue on with their day. Continue with their drinks. Jedi business. Yeah! But I I just think that for those reasons, even though, like, the whole deal at the end with, like, the Coliseum, like, instead of just killing our three prisoners, we're going to set them up in this very elaborate and overly complicated gladiatorial <laughs> arena. Like, it just... It Why make... not make it entertainment if we're gonna kill them off? And we'll give them lightsabers just to make it easy. Like... Then they didn't give them lightsabers. Oh, you're right. You're right. They, they don't they, get him until later, until yeah, the Jedi show up. You're yeah, right. Obi-Wan's got but, confiscated. Oh, well, and Obi-Wan puts in some work in this film, both with a lightsaber and without a lightsaber. So, for me, that is why uh, that is why Attack of the Clones is at number nine. Why is Phantom Menace at number nine for you? Be- uh, well, the stuff that... I... Well... Mm. Well, I was going to get to that, Babs. There's uh, <laughs> a lot of thoughts. Uh, oh, man. Because now it's just like, I don't know anymore. They're like, they're like, they're both like, right, competed with each other. Because um, I thought the greatest, the lightsaber battle was the best of all three films. Uh, introduced pod racing, which that was like a, a very big game that was a part of my childhood. Uh, like, I love pod racing, even though that pod, like, overanalyzing it now, that wasn't <laughs> such a great race, but it's still, like, I still love pod racing. That PlayStation 1 game is, was probably the most played game at my house. Like, oh, man, I loved it so much. And, uh... Do you remember the arcade version of that game? That was where so stinking like hard. You, like the controls, and, you and you're to, like, like, like okay, up, down. Oh, how oh, do I God. balance? Why am I turning? And and like it didn't have. Well, it had like a little bit of the cringy romance, but it wasn't yes. like full blown. <laughs> like it wasn't full gear. Uh, like the Attack of the Clones was. Ooh, yeah, that's fair. Because like that romance, like so many red flags. Him, him going off, killing off the Tuscan Raiders, and coming back like. Found my mom. How, <laughs> like, how did I forget about that? I slaughtered them like, like animals. Another red flag. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> and not just the men, the women, and the children, too. It's just like, red flag? Red flag? Red flag, get out of this relationship. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, and, yeah, and this is, like, Lars's only, like, only interaction with like, Anakin. Hey. I'm your half brother type thing. Where's my sup, mom? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go sup, find dude. my mom. Sup, dude. Sup. Where's my mom? Hey, uh, I'm gonna go look for my mom. How about you sit here with my sort of not really girlfriend for my. like an entire night, having weird conversation, probably if any conversation at all, while I go kill all these people. Come back with my dead mother. Hey. Bury her at your moisture farm. Like, oh man. And then like, I'm just gonna leave. Bye, guys. Yeah. So it's like moments like that and stuff. Like that's why because like there's a lot of cool stuff that comes from Attack of the Clones, and I think that's right. why it was it was my it used to be my favorite as a kid. It used right. to be because 
Jedi, Jedi were doing things that were fighting off As against. As a kid, like watching Yoda with a lightsaber. Oh, I was like, absolutely I'm in. Like everyone was cheering at that moment and, and I, flipping out. But I kind of like, like how Yoda was. Right. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> um, I've gotten a little bit more uh, sour to the idea of lightsaber Yoda as yep. the years have gone Same. on. And it's like, I, and it's so weird because like all I wanted when I was a kid, I was like, I just want to see Yoda be a, be a lightsaber guy. Um, and then you saw it as a kid and you're like, yes. Yay! And as an adult, you're like, no, it's like, no, he should be like the most adept force user in the galaxy. Like he doesn't need a lightsaber. Be, uh, this kind of, it reminds me of, um, do you, do you ever play the MMO, uh, the old Republic? very briefly so like you know how there was like those two different well there was like two jedi classes Mm -hmm. and there was one that was more like focused on lightsabers and stuff and the ones that were more wizardy and like more focused on uh force powers Mm -hmm. and like they didn't you they probably didn't use their lightsabers as much right and like that's how i saw yoda and like exactly how you were saying like more of using the force to his advantage more than using a lightsaber Right. And I feel like that would have been really cool to see in a situation like that of him using the Force to his advantage over over Duke, who's like, oh, well, our Force powers are pretty equal. How about we <laughs> like use our, our lightsabers? Like, his lightsaber design is still really cool. Like, it is. It never makes any sense why his is bent like oh, that. Uh, oh, I, I think, I think uh, Christopher Lee had it designed that way because he wanted it to be more like a fencing sword Ooh, because he's because I, like I, th- I think he actually did fencing i'm sure he did because christopher it, it, christopher, was it, was christopher, it was christopher lee so he lived an incredible life like, yeah sure. yeah so like i it, it was like because his style which the lightsaber form is called makashi mm-hmm. uh that that is more of a fencing style nice and so that's why his lightsaber is curved like that love it thank you <laughs> the more you know so that's our number nines, respectively. What is your number eight? As we start to get into this now, we're going to start to see, I think, more deviation here. Revenge of the Sith. Really? Yep. Everyone okay. loves it, and I watched it, and I'm like, nope, still hate it. All right, go into it. Uh, Just, man, because the garbage, abusive relationship of Anakin continues. <laughs> and Yes. And his blind... His blind buddy buddiness with the with soon to be the emperor yes is so illogical right because he go he's like Anakin is such a flip flopper like it's he absolutely it, is. he flip flop like this the easiest movie, person to turn to the dark side oh ever. yeah and absolutely back to the light and then back to the dark side again like his turn is like it's it's not a straight turn it's there are some zigzags in there where he's like serpentine yeah yeah like etch a sketch uh just like like seeking uh because i watching it and then like the the like sidious is just like hey what about this and he's like all right that's a little sketch but i'm still game with it yeah. and it's just and then he like goes and ta- like tattletales to the jedi council yeah like yeah you straight up found a sith like you're doing good you're on the right path help us like stay here because, like, you guys are buddies, so this will probably be hard for you. Yeah. So we're going to go, like... We're going to take care get, of this. Get this taken care of. Yeah. 
And then they go take, well, try to take care of it. Like three Jedi Masters of mm-hmm. the Council get straight up murdered in the first like three seconds of this lightsaber battle. Oh, Kid Fisto. Kid Fisto lasted the longest. He did. He fought a little bit before. He would have beat him underwater. Yeah. He would have. Would have. Poor Kid Fisto. But, uh, he land, land, land advantage. Yeah. <laughs> Homeland advantage. <laughs> and then, like, Windu got the, like, got him. He got him. And uh, and then Anakin runs in. Who knows why? You don't remember that scene of and, him staring and, and then, longingly and, no, out the and, window? And, no, and then Windu's like, okay, like, this guy is way too dangerous. You, you ran past the I dead can, bodies, I, right? I cannot arrest him. He will not go without a fight. I have to kill him. And he's like, but he has to be on trial. Like, yeah, Sidious is going to go on trial. Okay, says the guy who murdered Dooku at the beginning of this movie. Yes. Because of the same reasons. Loved that scene, though. Like, like he disarmed him. Right. And, and ah, it's like, disarmed him. Ah. Uh, and, and like, like he's like, good, kill him. He's like, no, he deserves a trial. He's like, he's too dangerous. And he's like, and then he's like, all right. right. And then murders him and is like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. A lot of things that Anakin does, he immediately afterwards says, no, I like... shouldn't have done that. That's yeah. so true. Like, kiss, like, kiss he's like Padme. Hag- he's like, shouldn't have done that. He's like Hagrid. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, falls in love with Padme. We shouldn't. Ends up doing it anyway. Like, shouldn't kill Dooku. Murders him anyway. And... And it's just like, oh, I should probably help Dooku. No, we need to arrest him. He needs a trial. Now he needs the, a trial. The, the electricity is coming out of his hands, almost murdering Windu. Like, yeah. buddy. Like, it's just like that. And then the whole last scene with, like, Padme trying to talk to him. And like, Obi-Wan's turning you against me. You're it's breaking like, my heart. It's like, it's like... Buddy, you being a weirdo on the dark side is making her turn against you. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Do I, you have any positives for this film? Um, I just want to make sure you folks know that we, we haven't cut out or anything. Jesse is legitimately trying to think of something positive about this film. <laughs> Obi-Wan? Uh, Obi-Wan is an incredible positive. <laughs> because Ewan McGregor. Hello there. Oh, yep. That. That fight with Grievous. With both, like... The ugh. sequence on that planet was really cool. That was. That was a that was a cool setup. That was a cool, like, uh, planet. Okay, there we go. Yeah. That whole conflict with Just Grievous. Just that. Just Obi-Wan. <laughs> That's the only positive for Jesse. Because like, there, because, like, I am... Like, watching Anakin turn is so cringeworthy. Yes. Because he's blindly following someone that has clearly done terrible things in the past. Mm. And continues to be like, yeah, he's cool. He's going to help us, though. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, way too relatable nowadays. <laughs> I won't, uh, probably won't get too political and say why. Do uh, it. <laughs> 
Probably. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say why, but it just Do has it. too many similarities to modern politics. <laughs> it, like, and having that similarity and having it way too relatable is yeah. just like, it's just like, wow. It's hard to watch. No. No, Annie. No. Uh, Where do you fall in the um, in the scope of the lightsaber duel at the end between Obi Wan and Anakin? First half, I hated it. Why? Because it was just a bunch of cool moves that had no meaning behind them. Like they, you felt it was like over choreographed. Yeah, I felt okay. it was way Fair. too. It was just like over choreographed. It was just it was just made to look cool. And then the second half, that's where we finally got the emotion behind the fighting. The lava. Well, like the lava, a little bit before that, like when they were on that like little like bridge that ended up flipping sideways. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like that. That's when they finally you start to see like the conflict between them, mm-hmm. and and the like the fight behind that conflict, and it's like, that's when it's like okay. Now this is interesting. Yeah, that's fair. And, and so, like, I was, I was like doing a Snapchat review of this the entire yeah. time I was watching it, and like, I was like, this lightsaber fights garbage. And then I got to that part, and I'm like, J.K. Never mind. The second half's all right. <laughs> like, and so it's like, so I agree. The best lightsaber fight is the duel of fates Agreed. in in Phantom Menace. Like, I even like the fight between Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Dooku more than this final conflict. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, like, and I, and I, because, like, I really hate the ending of this fight. Because, like, George... Anakin! Well, George fought so hard to tie everything with the bow to, like, okay, everything is good now for the original trilogy. Like... Lightning, lightning scarring uh, the Emperor's face. Unneeded. Unneeded. Unnecessary. He already looked like the Emperor when his, like, discreet messages to the and Separatists. if you give him 20 years, I'm sure. 20 years and corruption of the dark side? long time. Like, because, like, we've seen in EU, well, like, now Legends, Legends stuff, which is the non-canon uh, Star Wars stories. Mm-hmm. You can already see characters that are corrupted by the dark side, and it twist. they they become pale, like everything becomes sunken, and like it get they they get that emperor look, they right. get that emperor treatment. Absolutely. And Anakin, like he's like before A New Hope, he's been Darth Vader for eighteen years. Yeah. He can get all of these scars and mm-hmm. like not look in his greatest. Over that span of like almost eighteen years, right? You don't have to slice him up and give him like lava burns mm-hmm. in one fight to make him look like that. Fair, I agree. Like you can cut off one leg. You can like like you can like you can cut off his legs. Sure, you don't have to like burn him at the lava thing and burn him to a crisp. Be like, yep, that's what he looks like for twenty years. It just reminded me of that like. I, I don't even remember what cartoon this was, but it's like, well, at least it couldn't get worse. And then, like, a plane falls <laughs> down on top of them. Like, a wheel pops off, rolls into a gas station. The gas station blows up. Like, it's just all of the stuff, like, compounding on him. Like, he, you know, had both of his legs yeah. chopped off and his arm. Falls down. Suddenly catches on fire for no reason. And he's, yeah. like... Oh, my gosh. him catching on fire. So yeah. dumb. I hate you. Like... I feel like the things that they could have gotten away with, with a lava planet, right. would be cutting his legs off. Sure, because people lose limbs all the time Absolutely. in Star Wars, uh, and 
the lava causing his breathing problems. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, w- I would have liked that, like the soot and all of the yeah, like him getting being into his lungs. Like him yeah. being next to that lava and everything for a I'm long sure. period of time. He doesn't have to burn to a crisp, but he can right. have he can have like middle like bad burns and, and they stuff. set up like that he has his castle on Mustafar. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So like that's where his breathing problems could start. Mm-hmm. So so you feel that this movie um, it, wasn't more excess than it needed. Yeah, it 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 like did like yep he's scarred like that that's what vader looks like for 20 years and it's like uh all right and then like yep uh he, uh palpatine's lightning scarred and that's why how he looks like in 20 years from now right boom handled it's like yeah. i agree it's like that that's what did you think stuff of that happens the, uh, over years of the birth of darth vader scene Excluding the role, like everything leading up to it, like him being operated on. That's that goes with the tying everything in a bow. Uh, we didn't. But need, you felt we didn't need to see it. Yeah, okay. like because like we could have left it. We could have still left it a mystery. Like Anakin could have looked like he died. I agree. Well, and 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 that still it still creates that, like if Anakin looks like he dies. And it's like, oh, dude, that sucks. That's like, crazy. without mentioning him being Darth Vader. Right. Like, don't knight him to be Darth Vader. He has to earn that name. Yeah. And he'll earn it Over after the, the next movie. 18 years, yeah. He'll earn the name Darth Vader. Right. Like, have him, like, falling to the dark side and then, like, dying. And it's like, dude, that sucks. Yeah. And then we gotta Empire on. Strikes Back. It's like, oh, crap, he survived and he's Darth Vader. Like, we could still yeah. have that reveal and still be like, oh, that's what happened to him yeah well and i think that that speaks a lot to we we talked about before like the watch order for the movies it makes it almost impossible for a first time viewer to watch the prequels first if you want to preserve the empire twist yes um and i watched and i I told you about this like a long time ago, but recently I rewatched the series on YouTube. And you can look it up if you just type in uh, what if episode one was good. Uh, there's this guy who does like these three was, videos. I love those. So well done. Where he basically ma- he takes the general ideas of the prequel trilogy and rewrites them to a point that you could watch them before the original trilogy and still keep everything intact. And it does exactly what you were saying, where it was like, we leave him essentially to die, and we don't know what happens to him afterwards. And not everything gets tied up with a bow, Um, it still keeps the uh, Luke and Leia reveal intact as well. So I I definitely think that they went a little bit too far in on Revenge of the Sith with the stuff that they wanted to show. Yeah. Um, But... I, I definitely think that there, uh, there are definitely things that put it in that, like, bottom tier with the other prequels. There, speaking of, like, making the prequels better, uh, my friend gave me a theory, like, his own version of it. Nice. And, like, like his, his version of it, like, I kind of added to it. Cool. So, like, the, the main two things that I remember from it that I really liked... There was some stuff I didn't like about his version because Fair. it made Qui-Gon a total jerk, and I didn't like that. Qui-Gon uh, was a total jerk. He, like, he would have been more so in this one, in his version. Oh. 
Okay. Yeah, and I didn't like that. Okay. Uh, so the two things I took from it that I really would have liked to see uh, was uh, Anakin, because he had those issues with his pod racer. Right. Like, he wins, but he also crashes. Like, because, like, Sebulba messed with his pod. So and he, he dies. No. <laughs> that, like, that crash causes him to have his breathing problems. Really? So they would put the so, like, breathing the, apparatus the, on him, like... As a Jedi. And as a nine-year-old? Yeah. And so, Yikes. like... Yeah, it would suck, but, like, that would be interesting to see, like, how powerful he is, even though he has this disability. Right. And I kind of would like to see a Jedi version of that. Of, like, of, of, of the Vader breathing Yeah, the apparatus and how it would that look from a light side point of view. Fair. Okay. Like, I was like, that would be kinda, cool. That is cool. That would be really cool. And uh, the thing that I added to it I th- uh, was 3PO and RTT2's origin. And okay. why they why they exist? Because I uh, think that's, some, that's something that they definitely I think didn't need to have in the prequels. I I would have put it in the prequels. Really? Yeah, I would have had Anakin not only build C three PO but also build uh, R two D two. Interesting. Because think about C three PO and R two D 2s roles. Three uh, PO is is the uh, he has a, he, he's a protocol droid, but he like throughout the movies you see kind of like worry the worry work mother tendencies yes. of C three PO absolutely, and so he he has qualities of like speaking those different languages and being able to be courteous to people right. that you can that are sellable, right? Uh, and uh, I feel like that role very much much fits how. Shmi would be in a slave environment. Oh. And R2-D2 is very like, much the mechanic. So he and... Anakin. So Anakin is building these two to free himself. Oh, okay. I like that. So he's, like he's, that he's building them to essentially offer them to Wado as an exchange for their freedom. Interesting. And they, I like that a lot. That's cool. Yeah, and so, like, that that would have been, like, my way of introducing R2-D2 and 3PO. Like, 3PO still kind of has that by being built by Anakin. Right. Uh, R2-D2's, oh, another thing with Phantom Menace, with uh, R2-D2's introduction. Like, like it. no one cares about droids. <laughs> like, like I care. Like, we all, like, as fans, we care about the droids. Right. But I don't feel like people care as much about droids in the star wars universe universe. they are very much second second level citizens right they are lower than people yeah and they are treated as such well some of my favorite scenes in uh in the prequels were like r2 like being extremely capable and then every single time like it cuts to anakin or obi-wan being like fucking loser r2 what are you doing (laughs) yeah and like Obi-Wan having loose wire jokes yeah. about about R2-D2. And I didn't just, say anything. Yeah, and so it's just like, like they're very capable and like there's this whole weird little ceremony on the ship of being like, congrats R2 for saving our lives. Yeah. It's like, he's a droid. That's like, it was his job. Mm-hmm. He did it. He, You're only commending him because he was the only one to survive that encounter. Right. 
like another a thing I hated about I think this is why I hate Phantom Menace more than uh, Attack of the Clones okay. is because everything that happened was luck. There was not a lot of skill involved in Anakin becoming a Jedi. Fair. Because uh, especially with his whole scene being in the uh, in the 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 starfighter and then Naboo Starfighter. I have all of it such was a problem with that. All of it was luck. Yeah. He gets true. into his ship with RGD2. RGD2 is pretty much doing most of the flying here. All of the As flying. we see in Star Tours. All of the <laughs> flying in fact. Okay, first off, autopilot into a battle? <laughs> you know the the like the like Starfighter program yeah. is probably stupid. Oh, sure. If they have an autopilot for fighting. Yeah. And so, like, he's like, oh, gotta shut off. What does this button do? What does this button do? And every single button just so happened to be the right button he needed at that moment. I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. Oh, my gosh. And, like, oh, what does this do? Shoots it directly in the core reactor that explodes (laughs) the droid factory and saves the day. It's just, like, stuff like that that bothered me with Anakin. And, like, all all the stuff... All the stuff that good that happened to him were all because of luck. Fair. The pod race. He was the only one that survived that pod race. And it was because he, like... He got stuck with Sebulba and his got off. But, like, Sebulba's pod race fell apart. Yes. He didn't win... He kind of won the pod race because of skill. Because of how he was quick to adapt to, like, Mm -hmm. his whole thing coming loose. And then the magnet thing... Oh, that was very nice, yeah. Yeah, so, like, he had... There was some skill behind it. Right. But, like, the very last stretch of the race was just him surviving. Yes. And no one else behind him. Except for our friend. Gazgano. <laughs> who is so far behind, and I don't know how he fell behind. He's, we'll find out one day. One day. 2021. One day. A Star Wars story. Oh, Gazgano. Star Wars story. Can't wait. <laughs> so, to recap... Your number eight is Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. What's your number eight? My number eight is Solo, a Star Wars story. Really? Yes. And I'm going to explain why. Because I do not think it is a bad movie. Okay. I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah. Um, I only saw it once, and I rewatched it for this specifically. Okay. And I, just like you, I watched them all in kind of uh, chronological order. Yeah. So I went uh, episode one, episode two, episode three, and then I did Solo, and then Rogue One, four, five, six, uh, seven, eight. Yeah, I I only got to I only got to episode four. So okay. I so I, I did recently. I watched Solo yesterday and Rogue gotcha. One. So on a second viewing, because the first viewing I did not like this movie. Really? I just I couldn't get invested. I couldn't just I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. Second viewing was better okay um i think with all the problems that we know about behind the scenes i kind of took that in with me the first time i watched it oh, and this yeah. time i was able to just be like this is just presented exactly how it is and i will say alden Ehrenreich did a great job um i think his yep. acting gets better as the movie goes along it does and he only really i only really get invested in him once he's with chewy because their chemistry is great. Yeah. They really have that Han and Chewie chemistry down. I and agree. I thought that was the most like Harrison Ford's portrayal that I ever saw from him. 
Um, I feel like he had a little bit like po- like post meeting Chewie, his his uh, his conversations with Kira are very much okay. I'll very much how Han would talk to Leia. And that's the thing. First off, I couldn't remember Amelia Clark's character's name because I didn't care about her as a character. Okay. I just I couldn't get invested in her first off. I mean, and it's it's that weird thing of it bre- being a prequel um that it's just like, "Oh, I'm never going to see most of these characters here." But I absolutely adored Donald Glover as Lando. I thought every single scene oh, with him was fantastic. He is so good. Um, him and L3's dynamic was oh, fantastic. L3! A lot of people did not like L3. I love and L3. And it's, it's that whole push for like, oh, SJWs invading my Star Wars. I thought L3 was hilarious. Okay, but I, like, droids' rights is hilarious. Yes! It's so and good. And I loved the scene that she has with Kira. Yes. Kira is her name. I love the scene where she was like... It's a girl, I'm, it's I'm, like girl I'm, talk? <laughs> I'm sure you can tell that Lando has feelings for me, and I do not feel the same. And I just thought it was so funny. Um, how, also do you make Lando, that wor- how do you make that work? It works. And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, she's just, so good! Just Lando's cape collection. Oh, like, absolutely. I actually really enjoyed Woody Harrelson Oh yeah. in this role. I thought that... Personally, I loved the moment where Han shot first, where Woody Harrelson's about to go into this bounty hunter outlaw speech, and blam, he just shoots him. And Woody's just like, good one. I would have shot you first. Okay, but, like, doesn't Woody Harrelson remind you, like, I feel like his character would fit right in into Red Dead Redemption. Absolutely he would have. <laughs> like, this is, like, There, there would have been he, a moment. He walks out such, and Dutch is like, He is such a dick to the goddamn plan! He is such a Dutch. He's such a Dutch. He's, He's such a Dutch. He, like, just have a little so... goddamn faith. Yeah, and I'm just like, this is our last score, yep. and, and, like, and then I can learn that mm-hmm. something chord. Val- Valacord? Yes. Val- like, then I can learn that Valacord. It's like, okay, Dutch. Yeah. I, <laughs> I thought that as, a as like, an outlaw movie, it was really good. I thought the character dynamics were great. I thought the effects were fantastic. I just did not care about this movie. Oh. Because, and it, again, characters were wonderful. Plot was fine. Mm-hmm. Dialogue was good. Um, as a sci-fi outlaw story in the vein of like a uh, a cowboy bebop or anything like that i thought it was really well done this movie didn't need to be made in my view i mean you didn't we didn't need to get every single explanation for oh why does han have dice in the in the millennium falcon like i didn't need to see that i didn't need to see chewie and han meeting as great as it is and a great scene it is yeah uh, we're going to feed him to the beast. Like, the beast? What? Like, I thought that was really fun. But I just, every single time something happened, I'm like, well, no matter what kind of development you give him, he has to revert back to the Han that we see in A New Hope. Which mm. makes his arc so flat. Because his arc in A New Hope is becoming that outlaw into an outlaw with a heart. And it's like, if we show here, like, oh man, he's an outlaw with a heart. He always had a heart. It kind of diminishes his choice to 
go after Luke at the Death Star. And it's like, well, he was always going to make that choice. And it takes away, for me, some of his, um, his narrative urgency and his personal agency in that story. And I think okay. when it comes to, like I said, the action's great. The effects are fantastic. I love the Kessel Run scene. But it just, I didn't need to see this movie. If I, if I don't see this movie, there's... It's not, me, it's not vital. It's not vital. And there's nothing in this movie that changes anything about the world. And there is another movie that you could have that same opinion of later on down my list. But I think that that movie has more agency and ties in more with it, the it, things that happen here. Yeah, it ties in a lot better. And this the, the film, other movie. as, you know, what I always kind of envisioned this whole A Star Wars Story anthology being of just, like, stories happening all across the galaxy that don't have to necessarily be part of, you know, the main saga. I love that, but... I want that. Them having I to still say... Gazgano, A Star Wars Gazgano, Story. Gazgano, A Star Wars Story! <laughs> I would rather watch Gazgano, A Star Wars Story than Solo, A Star Wars Story. But, and again, that's no, like, that's no... Um, I'm not, that's no offense to anyone who worked on this film. It is a fun thrill ride, but for me, it just, it didn't need to be made. I didn't need to watch it. And that's why it's so low for me at number eight. Okay. What is your number seven? Ooh. I'm like, now that with your explanation, uh... No, but, and, and I want to reiterate to the listeners, we didn't compare our lists before this, so we're... And to be finding out these lists as we are talking about to them. be honest i am creating this list as we go right now because i didn't think are about you it. yep <laughs> i didn't think about it you've known about this yeah but i wanted to watch all the movies first and then i didn't <laughs> so i well thinking about all of them i, I feel like yeah i feel like solo like, I love Solo. I, like, right. I thought it was a fun film, and, mm-hmm. like, I'm glad it was made. And it has, like, fantastic characters that I'm glad I got to be introduced to. Yeah. And, like, what I liked about it, it had things I wanted to know more about. Fair. Like, it's probably, it's lower than other movies because those things seemed weird, but I wanted to know them because they were weird. Mm-hmm. Like, uh... Uh, stinking Darth Maul being in charge of Crimson Dawn? Because at some point he has to be locked up in that Sith temple for rebels. Yeah, he's he's locked. How does he get there? Yeah. Last time we saw him, he was being tortured by the Emperor in Clone Wars. Yeah, and he was already in charge. Like, during the Clone Wars, he was in charge of a criminal syndicate. Of a criminal empire, yeah. Yeah, he he had that. That whole story of that was him, a whole, That was a fantastic arc. That, yeah, that him whole... gaining control of it. That whole story of him, like, taking over Black Sun and, like, mm-hmm. all these all these different criminal organizations and then, like, falling out of it. Like, his criminal days of, of that kind of criminal activity I thought were done. Mm-hmm. So why is he a part of Crimson Dawn? Right. And, or in charge of Crimson Dawn, for right. that matter. Absolutely. And and how does he fall out of Crimson Dawn? Mm-hmm. What is Crimson Dawn all about? <laughs> yeah. Lot, lots of questions. Yeah. So it, it, like, it has a lot of questions I want to know about just because like they're weird and seem out of place. Right. And so that's why it would be like a little lower than other movies. Fair. But I still, I still love this movie. I had a great time watching it. For sure. And I noticed as 
the more because like i was talking about how i was well i sent you those snapchat reviews Mm. once i got to these movies the reviews became less and less because I was paying attention more. Watching them, right? Yeah, because like when you when I watch a bad movie, I become over analytical of everything. <laughs> like I'm paying attention to the most minute details, right. like the whole yeah. like Padme having different outfits for every scene. Yes, uh, like I'm paying attention to the small stuff that doesn't matter, like that, right? Because I'm not invested. Yes. And then with Solo and, like, the other movies, I become more and more invested because I like the story. And, right. like, the characters are fantastic. So I'm, like, reviewing it less because I don't want to go on Snapchat because I want to watch the movie. Fair. So would you put Solo at number seven for you? Yes. Okay. So my number eight, Solo. Your number seven, Solo. Yeah. My number seven, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> I like how we're flip-flopping We're, we're really, movies. like, we didn't, again, we did not plan this, but we're flip-flopping them. Um, real quick, because I think you hit on all of the things that we could talk about with Revenge of the Sith. I am going to insert some positives. Uh, the space battle, at the very beginning, I thought was well done. Um, the effects here are the best in the prequels. Yes. Um, I did like the duel between uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, though I will agree it's very over-choreographed. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, everything about Obi-Wan in this film, just, he's so good. He's so good at what he does. Yes. I also really, really, really dug the Order 66 scene. Even though Order 66 as a concept doesn't make any freaking sense, I really it... liked how tragic that yes. scene was across the galaxy all the clone troopers turning Mo- on their Jedi. movie movie version of order 66 doesn't completely make sense well I, I mean just order 66 in general like hey we're currently in the middle of an active war okay. so let's just oh, gun that down was the, out, that was let's the just other gun issue down I had. our generals in the middle I, of the I battle made that same exact thing i put oh my gosh yeah that's the only thing that bothers me about it like, otherwise critical like, like he's like come on that's my favorite part like they're running and then all of a sudden it pans down to the boots and the boots stop and you're like no you guys and are... he turns around and just the shock on his face i love that scene oh, but it was such a dumb place it, it's a dumb place because just in they finally have happen. he's finally it they're looks winning like they have, the yeah, war they're having an advantage and in this battle eliminate all of their generals like what are they gonna do where is the hierarchy when it comes to their military? Does the war just suddenly end? Like, I get that pretty or, soon or after that, they have, they, they have Anakin go in and kill all of the Separatist leaders. They have but a few that he- doesn't get, that information doesn't get out to everyone battling and, and in the, immediately. And in the, in the movie version of the Clone Wars, yes. you don't see any commanding officers that aren't clones. Right. And... If that you have like Commander Cody, who's Commander not, Cody, who's not a general, but he's still they're, they're, amazing. There are no like general clones, right? Like you don't see any officers mm-hmm. of any kind, clone or not, right? And besides the Jedi, b- besides the Jedi, and so killing off the Jedi, they're killing all, all their of their leadership. Their, yeah. So that's that's definitely something that bothers me, but I do like the scene of just all of them being wiped out. I thought the um, the Jedi Temple was tragic. <sighs> Master Skywalker, there's too many. What are we gonna do? Menacingly, <laughs> ignites lightsaber. 
It just, it's just those reasons, I think, for me, and the fact that it is essential viewing, beats out Solo by just that much. Mm. So, heading into what I think is the middle half, or the, the middle section of this, both factually and as well as opinion-wise. Um, these are the films that are, I, I think, I mean, from here on, they're all great films. Yep. Agreed. But the, we are ranking them in sequential order. What is your number six? Uh, I'm going to have to say Last Jedi. Really? Okay. Talk <laughs> about it. Uh... <laughs> La- uh, I I really liked Last. I was one of the the I was those You're a fans. Big defender of Last Jedi. Yeah, when I liked came out. I like Last Jedi. Yeah. like I still do. I I will still defend Last Jedi, and mm-hmm. I still think it's a, a great film. Yeah, it has flaws, but a right. lot of Star Wars movies do. Obviously, <laughs> as we have seen over this entire conversation. And like some people hated the scene with Kylo and Rey fighting off, and I thought that was one of the coolest scenes. Loved that scene. That was such a cool Facing scene. all of the guards, like, oh. And, and, like, of course, there's issues like Kylo being a red flag like his grandfather. Uh, Solo. <laughs> ben Solo. Like, so, yeah, the whole, well, I guess it was to convey that, like, that, that connection comes at very inconvenient times. <laughs> yeah. Also showing and, all the and, battle scars, too. And not controlled by them right because because i i we i think he does confirm it that it was yeah, snow that, that sets snow up that connection that sets it up yeah and which ended up being his downfall which is hilarious yes um classic star wars uh i think i think the the biggest downer to uh the last jedi is cantabite yes absolutely. which there are cool things that i liked about cantabite oh yeah like really, I like the visuals are great. Yeah, it's a beautiful area and like I liked how the last Jedi really explores the gray. Right. And and, and t- you see it in Cantabite very briefly when you see like all these ri- like these like rich people showing off the plans to both X-wings and tie fighters. Mm-hmm. Like they're selling weapons We're profiteering. To bo- yep. It's like that's something that we don't get enough of. And also with Cantabite any time that you see rich people getting their stuff broken, it's pure cinema. <laughs> it's pure cinema. Like when they have the stampede and like their bars are being broken, stuff. It, it just watching rich people lose the things that they love is just one of the greatest pleasures in this world. And, and just, but like also on the other side of that, this was a completely unnecessary scene. Absolutely. Like, though, no, nothing, though I will say Not that, a lot is gained from it other than the Codebreaker. Though I will argue that also them showing the um, showing the kids and showing the oh. continued oppression in the galaxy and that the symbol of the Resistance still holds meaning when Rose shows that ring to the kid. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we see that that's echoed later on at the end with the kid who has the Force... Um, kid, wrote... kid with the force, a Star Wars story <laughs> coming twenty twenty two. We have to do the most important one first, though. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but you see at the end, like that, he has Rose's ring that she probably gave him, and then that look, that idea, that, and that this film puts this idea that you don't have to be part of a 
part of a long lineage. Like, greatness can come from nothing. And that look that the kid has as the final shot of the film, looking out in the stars, is the same look that Luke gives standing in front of the twin sons on Tatooine in episode four. It's that same exact look and gives me that same exact feeling. Of, of like, hope of, and of just... like, there's more. That, again, greatness can come from the most unlikely of places. So yeah, okay, and I, I I actually like that kid very much. So like I agree with that. It, it's just like like I I'm sorry to say this, but like I hated a lot of what Rose did. Like Fair. I she does I, not like, have a great arc, and it's and unfortunate because that's, that actress is, she's great is amazing, and she she's great. Was put but they through the ring yeah, after this they film, just, they just awful. they just they just did her dirty. Like, did, did you see the uh, the video of the most recent Star Wars celebration where she came out to a standing ovation? Oh. Like, people just, oh, warm the heart. And She's like, amazing. It's like, that's so cool. Like, that we can come together and finally be, like, not trash fans. Uh, for like So few and far between sometimes. Yeah, and it's like, it's like people like Rose and, like, the actor that, like, portrays Jar Jar. Like... You don't have to give him that hate. Like, yeah. like it, it's we, not like he was in charge of the creative direction for the character. Yeah, and it's like it's like it's not his fault. But he was like playing a role, he was playing a role that like that kids love. Like, and that George wanted it to be a kids movie, right? Which I feel like is kind of the wrong audience. But here we are. Uh, <laughs> but like, I've I've talked to kids in the past recent years, and they still love Jar Jar. Like yeah. they, they, it's like. Like, I've asked kids, who is your favorite character? And they've said Jar Jar. Yeah. And so, like, I know that Jar Jar isn't meant for us adults. Right. He is clearly meant for kids. Absolutely. And, like, and he shouldn't have, like, I wish, like, him, uh, the, yeah, I don't know her name, unfortunately. I think it's Marie Tran. I yes. Her name. Yes. Uh, like, and, and, like, Rose and Jar Jar, like, the, the, the actors, like, doing, like, they were just done dirty, and yeah. it's like and we we hope for better things for them. Like I hope, I hope she gets a great arc in Rise of Rise of Skywalker. Yes, I, I really want. That I agree for her. because like she had this weird arc of like her instantly falling in love with Finn, and, and he did not feel the same. Like no, at any point in this movie, no, and like and he ruined and she ruined what was to be His like. Redemption. Would have been a really cool sacrifice. Oh, it would have been amazing. And it, it would have been but, the equivalent of Han sacrificing himself in Empire. But it would have been a cool sacrifice for her. Too. What do you mean? Like her, even though it was like a weird relationship, even though like she she loved him, he didn't love her back. But like, if she made that sacrifice instead of him, oh, like pushed him out of way because of her feelings for him. So Got Finn it. ends up surviving, cool. But, but then, then she takes she, it. She takes. She okay, bites the bullet. Okay, that would have been interesting too. But then, like, she only saves Finn, and like, she kind of survives. Right. And then the thing blows a hole in the wall, and like, their yeah. base is ruined. And it's yeah. like, like, and the most unloving kiss, maybe in the entire trilogy. It just, yeah, that didn't yeah. work for me. Um, though I will say. I think my favorite character in the sequel trilogy is Poe Dameron. And he gets a wonderful arc here. Yes! He gets a like wonderful people, arc. People hated that arc, and I thought it was a great... I, I didn't like the idea of it. 
mm-hmm. but upon like further viewings, and I watched it literally yesterday as we're recording this, um, and I loved his arc. I loved that he was that hotshot pilot who was only thinking of himself, and he had to learn to become a leader. He, he needs to see the bigger picture because he's going to be in that spot He's someday. going to be in that spot probably in this in episode <laughs> 9, in this next film. Yes. And he has such a wonderful arc throughout these two films mm-hmm. of being this hot shot, I'm the greatest pilot in the galaxy, to being like, no, I now need to be the leader of this spark of rebellion. And like we, I have to be there not just as a showboat, I, I have to lead by example now. I'm not mm. just worried about myself. And I really dug that. Yeah. Um, I also am another big, um, I think, dividing point in this film for a lot of fans was Luke Skywalker. Yep. I, that's exactly what I was thinking of, too. Luke Skywalker, um, Old Man Luke, was probably... I think he might have been the most divisive part of this because yes. either people really liked it or they hated it. I liked it. I liked it as well. I liked it more again upon this um, most recent viewing, but because you have to think about it from his point of view. Yeah, like this is he, still he tried th- he's tried to live up to a legacy of bringing back the Jedi, which should not be on one person ever. Yeah, and. He made one mistake, and it not cost him. Cost everything. him. His nephew turned to the dark side, and his and not only that, his nephew ended up destroying the very thing he's tried to start building. So, and like, also corrupted several of his own students to join his nephew. Like, it's it's a tragedy. That is, that and is such a huge blow, and right. it's just like, and as deified as people like like to make him. He's still at his heart, but I wanted to go to the Tashi station and pick up some power converters. He's, he's a he's, like, a, he's flawed a flawed human. character. He's the guy who like got pissed off like never in Return Turn of the Jedi and just started wailing away at his father because Sidious knew he could turn him. This is a guy who really like suffered, and his arc in this film is incredible, going from embittered old man. Um, to actually sacrificing himself for the cause that he didn't think was worth his time. You know, it just like, um, and we've heard this many times, that George Lucas loves when things rhyme in cinema. He loves how things echo. And just like Obi-Wan's, um, just like Obi-Wan's arc across both the prequels and the original trilogy, Luke's arc is to fail his first student and then sacrifice himself for his next student. It parallels, it rhymes, whatever. I love the moment that he steps out in front of the First Order. Okay. I thought the movie was going to end that, there. That whole, mo- like, that whole scene was, the I feel like, the most basic of like the the most jedi thing to have happened like the whole purpose of the jedi it was the most jedi thing to have occurred in the entire saga really Mm -hmm. okay because what's the whole purpose of the jedi to bring peace. peace and order peace and order they're they are peacekeepers not soldiers what right. did they do throughout the entire prequels? They were pretty much soldiers. 
until they were all killed in the middle of battle. And the one negotiation... And, and left no no leadership <laughs> during any of these crucial battles across the Cold War. <laughs> and, like, the episode one, they tried to negotiate. The negotiations were quick. <laughs> and, it, and it, well, like, that wasn't on them, but they were essentially doing Jedi stuff. They were right. doing peacekeeping stuff. Yeah. And you never see that kind of peacekeeping stuff throughout the rest of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Of, of the prequels. Mm-hmm. And uh, Luke tries to do it in the original trilogy of trying to talk it out and try to convert his dad back to the light side. Right. There is that like negotiation, and but like overall, there's more fighting than there is negotiation. Yes. This, he like nonviolently. He, oh, nev- like, he never swings at Kylo once. Never. He has it out, but he never swings it once. He does the most peaceful way of distracting the enemy and helping the rebellion escape. Yep. Or or the resistance escape. Yeah. And like in the most peaceful way possible without anyone getting hurt. Force projection. So so cool. Yeah. Such a cool force ability. And like and so to me that is the most like that is the most Jedi mm-hmm. of anything we've ever seen in right. the in the entire saga. Yeah, and I think that his arc, the moment that he gets with True Blue Puppet Yoda. Um, yes! Where they, you know, lightning calls down, destroys the Jedi texts. And uh, I love Yoda's line where he's just like, Read them, have you? Page turners, they are not. Like, <laughs> I loved that. Like, getting classic Yoda in this. Um, Ray's arc is also fantastic. I still don't know if I believe that her parents were just nobodies. I, don't... I like the idea of it when we were talking earlier about the whole um, greatness can come from nothing. I love that sentiment of that Ray was just came from nobody and learned to be this. I don't think she had conventional parents. Okay. Because Last Jedi, she goes into that dark side area mm-hmm. and she asks And you about... see the two shadows of her parents you just see come into her and you just see a whole lot of her yeah i i am hoping that we get some kind of answer for that and i'm sure that jj is gonna do something i think she's a clone i have been saying that for a very long time i don't know how they're going to rationalize it some some people theorize that she is a clone coming off of luke's hand that he lost in empire I would be inclined to agree with that. I heard that uh, that theory way back when mm-hmm. Force Awakens first came out. I, I don't know if I agree with it, but I but it's I do agree. Very interesting. I do agree that she's a clone. I feel like it's the kind of way where uh, uh, Star Killer back in Force Ooh, Unleashed, maybe yeah. You know how the, like there was all those Force clones. Yes, one of them turned out being good, mm-hmm. and. Oh, that's that's going into theories about Rise of Skywalker. I don't know if we want to go into that right now. We might. We might. Um, but okay, so number six for you is The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. So number six for me is another Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Really? Yes. So and I'm going to tell you why it ranks so low for me. Um, okay. I really adored this movie when, it fir- when I first watched it. Not when it first came out. I wasn't alive when it first came out. But... <laughs> Uh, when I first watched this, I was blown away by it. I rank it this low, maybe not for the reasons that people would um, people would expect. I don't have a problem with Ewoks. 
I don't. Because I, uh... they brought the single best part of this movie, which is the Yup Nub song. <laughs> Yup Nub. I, and I will never forgive the Disney Plus versions for not including the Yub Nub song. That is a crime against humanity. The Yub Nub song is a national treasure and should be in the Smithsonian for its impact on humanity. Anyway, um... Things I didn't like about the film, I thought that it feels like two different movies. The Tatooine portion where they're rescuing Han almost feels like a prologue to the actual movie of them going like, all right, now we're all coming together. Now, we're going to face the second Death Star. Now that we've wrapped up everything from Empire Strikes Back, let's continue. Yeah, it felt more like an epilogue for Empire Strikes Back. A DL, a story-driven DLC to, to Empire. But than hey, actually... at least they didn't charge extra for it. True. We're looking at you, EA. Though, you're on real thin ice right now because you did real, real good with Fallen Order. You're, we're, but we're watching you. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I just, I feel like it feels disjointed. Okay. Um, I, I remember watching it for the first time. You know, R2 shoots out Luke's new lightsaber. It's a green blade. I was like, there's green blade? <laughs> there's a different color! What? Like, it blew my mind when that happened. Um, everything when it comes to Luke and Darth Vader is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The goodbye with um, Luke and Yoda, even though... Obi-Wan is a complete and total dick in this movie. Like, how come you didn't tell me that Vader was my dad? Well, oh, according to my point of view. <laughs> from a certain point of view, I didn't lie to you. It's like, you fuck, you know when, you lied. When he turned into Darth Vader, I mean, that technically killed Anakin, didn't it? So bad. <laughs> but I, I loved all the Han and Leia stuff here as well. Um, the the weird like which Hans, is Hans, which is a better love story than Twilight. Yes, incredibly by so. far, incredibly so. Uh, the self imposed Han's own self imposed love triangle between him, Leia, and Luke is still hilarious to me. You love him, don't you? That's all right. I won't get in the way. It's like I just it's so good. Um, I also even though it's a blatant it's a blatant retread of. Um, of a, of a New Hope, the second Death Star, with uh, Lando once again flying his ship for the first time since Solo, A Star Wars Story. Um, I thought it was really well done, and I loved the wrap-up with Luke and Vader. Oh. Taking Vader's helmet oh. off. So good. Um, really surprised me, because I was like, wait, but he's got a black guy's voice. He's got, like, that deep, deep, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't want to spoil this line because I want to talk about it later. But um, the the really James Earl Jones voice did not match at all who they take the helmet off of. Poor David Rose. Um, <laughs> but he did get his moment in the sun at the end with the Force Ghost, and oh, no, then it was, was blatantly that... ripped away from him when they put Hayden Christensen's face over oh, him. Because that's um, hold on, that's Sebastian Stan, isn't it? Because David Prose Sebastian was... Stan is Bucky from. No, no, no. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, wait a second. There's a Sebastian Darth Vader. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So while he's vamping, we're going to keep talking about Return of the Jedi. Um, Again, I thought that the while the Tatooine stuff was interesting, it felt like a different movie. 
and it almost felt like they wanted to be like, all right, we're going for Shaw. This. Sebastian Shaw. Okay. Not Stan. Shaw. <laughs> both. Both, both incredible actors. Both and start with an S, the last name. <laughs> both four-letter last names that start with an S. And it's been widely known that Sebastian Stan is somehow Shaw. Mark Hamill's son anyway. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Oh, that's so freaky. Um, but it's, it's really, for me, it felt like George wanted to tell this story about going up against the Empire for the last time and then drew it out, storyboard and everything, and they're like, this is only thir- This is only 40 minutes. We can't make this movie into 40 minutes. Let's spend an hour on Tatooine getting Han. So for me, that's why it's a little down. Okay. The pacing feels off in that way, but that is why it is at number six for me. Okay. What is your number five? Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Return of the Jedi. All right, here we go. Yeah, because like it's sure it's a great wrap up and everything for the for the original trilogy. Mm. Um, it's it's I don't know. It's just there's not as much stuff that's as as iconic as the other two. Fair. Um, but like it's like it's still at the top of the list. It's still a yeah, good movie. Yeah, it's still movie. good. It's not the best one, right? But it's still a great one. Like like you Absolutely. were saying with the the all the the moments with uh Luke and Darth Vader, mm. excellent moments. So good. And the Emperor, your sister. <laughs> if I can't turn you, maybe she will. <laughs> and then, like, oh, it's so good. And like the the emperor's so sly in this, and turning him to the dark side. And it's just like, oh. strike me down, like just hatred, and then turn to the dark side will be complete. <laughs> so uh, good. Um, any any last thoughts on Return of the Jedi? Um, I am neutral when it comes to the ewoks he is switzerland <laughs> he is an ewok switzerland because because like i like they're okay they're not the greatest but like i understand what they their purpose mm-hmm. and and like i'm not a whole like oh i love ewoks but i'm not like i don't hate them right i'm just very neutral um and uh i don't know the the, the there's okay there's some good moments on tatooine though I mean, like, of like, of like I mean, you know, yeah. I was born here. You know, you die here, you know? <laughs> also very good. Um, I think part of it also has to do with the the updates on Disney Plus for me. The whole, like, doing a whole new song. like For what reason? Why? Why? Though I, I think this movie... If any of the original trilogy was as uh, impactful on me growing up, this one was, for one reason and one reason alone, Slave Leia. (laughs) As a a growing child, seeing Slave Leia brought out things in me that I had never felt before. (laughs) And I will never forget Return of the Jedi for that reason alone. So Return of the Jedi is your number five. My number five is Star Wars A New Hope. I knew really? it, it, it had to be top five. I knew it was going to be top five. I just didn't know where I was going to place it. And um, it's, this is where it ended up. Um, I, re-watching it, 
it had a lot to do. It was the first film, had a lot, excuse me, a lot of concepts that had to be introduced, and I think it does a great job doing mm-hmm. that. Um, I also and those added uh, CGI scenes really really help, really help to the world Bringing building. Jabba into a New Hope is probably the best choice those, they could have those made. Those three extra shots of driving through Moss Eisley and a droid beating down another droid really added Just, something. It really added to the seriousness of the war between the Empire and the. No, I can't even God. keep a straight face saying that. But um, <laughs> New Hope did so much uh, with so little because nobody knew how big this movie was going to be becoming really the first big blockbuster and unseating jaws um this film is forever in a place it has its place in history um re-watching it i was and maybe it's because i i've seen it before i know the story beats they spend 55 minutes on tatooine before we so leave. your bottom two movies, the <laughs> both of my stuff don't both, have. You just don't like Tatooine. I don't know your what it is. is with Tatooine, and it's so funny because I, <laughs> I grew up, I grew up all over, but I grew up the most time in Arizona, and maybe that's why I don't <laughs> like Tatooine. Shout out to Tucson, Arizona. Um, maybe that's why I don't like Tatooine because it reminds me too much of home. Oh, see, and, like, I always think of myself as a son of Tatooine because of Arizona. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, but I just, it's kind of slow. They have to establish a lot. There's a lot of exposition. I love Ben Kenobi. Old Ben Kenobi is fantastic. So good. And I forgot that the introduction to the character, the introduction to this amazing oh. former Jedi Master, hero of the Clone Wars, progenitor essentially of Darth Vader, oh. is when Tusken Raiders are raiding Luke's land speeder, and you all of a sudden hear, and there's this shot over, and this shadowy figure is flailing his arms in the I distance, and I'm like, that. Jedi Master. <laughs> Je- that's a Jedi Master. Then, like, Oh my gosh, because like usually, because I was lucky enough, uh, my dad got me years ago, he got me the original trilogy, but Costco was selling a version of the original trilogy where the bonus disc was the original theatrical version of the movies. And I still have those. That's fantastic. And so whenever I introduce someone, I I show them the original theatrical versions, not the George Lucas edited the crap out of ones. (laughs) And so hearing that noise for the first time this morning was... I love it so much. Because, because like... I love it so much. The original sound sounded like some sort of, like, weird, threatening creature. And it was like, what is that? And, and it was like it's like some and it was like very Star Wars sounding creature. It's like oh, what is that? Oh my gosh, that came from him. That's like insane. And then <laughs> this morning I watched what's on Disney Plus. I hear that, which I think is a lot more realistic for an old man to make a sound, but not really because it was way more high pitched. Then we we never saw Obi Wan sing in the prequels. 
We don't know what his register is. Is he a tenor? Is he a baritone? He wouldn't be singing it, though. He would be yelling at it, and the yelling is a lower register. (laughs) It's just like, I have so many issues with just that. (laughs) Oh, I hated that so much. uh, Introducing the idea of Jedi Knights, this film also was the first name drop of the Clone Wars. Which I completely forgot like, about. There's, there were so many mentions mm-hmm. of like the past that would have like been so cool if we actually about. saw that in the prequels. <laughs> like all these yes. they talk about like the past of like Anakin and, and like Obi-Wan's relationship with Anakin mm-hmm. and all of that. And and like the the whole thing of the Jedi and like what they were all about. And we saw none of it. We saw none of that in the actual yeah. prequels, except for the word Clone Wars. <laughs> yes. And Lars's, uh, Lars's relationship with, with, uh, with, uh, with Anakin. Yep. Not none existed. of that happened. Yep. Uh, Obi-Wan uh, saying, oh, like, following Obi-Wan on some, damn, uh, like, on some damn crusade. And it's like, there was no crusade. The Clone Wars was not a crusade. Yeah. It was just a weird battle because battles. Yep. I agree. And I think that a lot of the um, a lot of the topics, a lot of the concepts, a lot of the ideas that were presented here talking about the dark side, talking about Anakin Skywalker, like not knowing who that was, the idea of lightsabers. Of the like, oh, he's following his dad's footsteps. That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. Like, so much in this was brought in. This is also the debut of Han and Chewie, the Millennium Falcon, uh, Leia showing up, the destruction of Alderaan. This film does a lot in what seems like a, a short amount of time. Um, we also get the rescue. We get the very first ever on-screen lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, which I loved. Um and then it all really culminates in the Death Star, essentially suicide run up until they realize, okay, we can do this. Um, but I, I really enjoy this film. It is absolutely top five. Uh, for me, there were a little bit of pacing issues here and there, but overall, it's a fantastic film mm-hmm. and introduced us to one of one of, if not the greatest, movie villains of all time. That being Darth Vader. Yep. Which okay. A New Hope, I never noticed this before. I don't know if it's because it's like high def on Disney Plus or what, but I saw Vader's eyes. His eyes? What do you mean? Like, through his lens. I saw, like, Vader's face through his eye lenses. I didn't see that. I saw that, like, his um, his lenses are tinted red, which they aren't in any other episode, but, like... Yeah, yeah it was, like, it was so... I saw his... I have to rewatch this. Because I where, just watched where it this was morning. It? Where was it in the film? Uh, you see his eyes a lot when he's in the TIE Fighter. Okay. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna rewatch it. It was weird. I was like... That's that 4K I'm, high definition. I'm like, I'm seeing Darth Vader's eyes. I don't know how I, I feel about this. this. <laughs> oh, like, it was such a weird moment for me. So, that is my number five. What is your number four? We're heading into the top. Okay. <laughs> because this is this is a tough one. Because like I love like 
a, like a lot from these four films. Mm. And I think it only gets harder from here. I know. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to go with uh, with Force Awakens. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's your number four. Yeah. All right. So tell tell us why. Uh, like. It's number four, so it's a great film. Great, and you're introduced to fantastic characters. I I love Ray, and I and like and like we said before, Poe Dameron's fantastic. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you. Poe Dameron's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like Finn. I like Finn, but I feel like there needs to be more to him. Agreed, but I like where they started his arc. Yeah, it, like his it, where they like I liked him the most where they started him. Yes. I didn't... I don't think I liked him as much in Last Jedi. Fair. Uh, but, like, this is, this is, like, Finn shined the best in yeah. Force Awakens. Because we really got to see most of the film from his perspective, which I mm-hmm. liked, as a failed stormtrooper slash former janitorial custodian. <laughs> yeah. And before we get too deep into it, Force Awakens is also my number four. So, really? Yes, we wow! lined up finally. We finally lined up here. Oh my gosh! Um, so, Force Awakens. Yeah, I I think it was a great reintroduction in the universe. Yes. Um, our trio that we have to have in every trilogy of Ray, Finn, and Poe are fantastic. Uh, Poe was the first character in any bit of Star Wars where I was like, I kind of look like that, like. And it's so it's so interesting because like there's a lot of um and granted, I look nothing like Oscar Isaac. But like having that, especially from like a cosplay perspective, but also like a representation perspective, like having characters who are more diverse and we can get into a whole um conversation about forced diversity or anything like that, but having your three main characters be a woman, a and two minorities, and Poe having questionable sexuality throughout all of these films. Um, I just, I love, I love all three of these characters, and they yep. all have really good arcs throughout this film. Um, Poe less so. I wish we had gotten more from him in this film, and I think Last Jedi, for me, like definitely did him right in that respect. Mm-hmm. But with your two, your two main leads being Finn and Ray. Their chemistry is off the charts. I love the scene right after they um, escape the TIE Fighters. And they jump down. They're like, oh, dude, you were so good. Like, dude, did you see that? It's like, oh, well, I only did that because you set me up. Like, I've had conversations (laughs) with you, like, playing, like, Overwatch and stuff like that. Where it's just like, oh, that was so great. Let me do that. Let me do that thing. Like, it was... It was a real moment. Real, genuine human moments are so few and far between when it comes to stories about space wizards that it's like, this was great. These are real, relatable characters that you have a fun time with. Yes. And this movie is funny. It's really entertaining. The scene where they're, like, running away from the TIE Fighters, and they're like, what about that ship? That ship's garbage. (laughs) And they try to go to this other one. It blows up. They're like, all right, I guess garbage will do. And then, Millennium Falcon! Um, this film also, for me, I think the reason why it didn't crack the top three for me was it relies a lot on nostalgia. Yes. This film is very heavy with the nostalgia when it comes to the Millennium Falcon. A very familiar plot in this film. Um, a, uh, a seemingly coming from nothing or you know, orphan on a 
desert, desert planet, planet gets brought into a <laughs> Uh, a conflict between a noble resistance and their Nazi-like opponents and is uh, taken under wing by an older, slightly sager mentor just to watch him die by the villain as another main character blows up the uh, main planet-killing weapon. Which, which episode is that? Is it four? Is it seven? It <laughs> oh. could be either. Oh my god! <laughs> so it's so I think that detracts a little bit for me. Yes. Um, also, like the heavy amounts of nostalgia on this, in place of introducing new concepts. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the concepts were introduced. Like, hey, remember this thing you loved? Here's a new version of that. You really liked Darth Vader? Here's Kylo Ren. You really liked, you know, the Empire? Here's the First Order. Like, like the Emperor, here's Snoke. Yeah, like just all of these concepts that we had kind of seen before. And, and like, they were really playing up Phasma. Yes. And Phasma didn't do a lot. Just like Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like, Boba Fett got some stuff done in the, within the movies. What did he do? He tracked down and figured out Luke's name. Like, like that's okay. well, that's important information for for uh, Darth Vader. It's okay. sh- that like, oh crap, that's my son. Wait, he did that in the film. I th- uh, did he do like? I feel like he. Because we're going off the films, right? And like Boba, like I don't really pay attention to kid Boba in uh, the Clone Wars because Boba only really showed up in Empire and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and at the beginning of Empire. Vader and to show some of his smart, like, his intelligence, remember when Han and them were all hiding in the garbage? And then they got away, the, the Star Destroyer garbage, in the Millennium Falcon? Yes. Wait. Was that an Empire? Was that Empire? Yeah, I think that was... Was it Empire? I don't remember. I don't remember if it was Empire or Return of the Jedi. I'm anyway, not sure. Anyway, but... Bulba knew they were going to do that and track them down. And, like, he was already there and followed okay. them. So, like, he does smart things. He also gets his jetpack disabled by a blind man and sent straight into a Sarlacc pit. Okay. Well, like, I don't think there's anything he could do because he wasn't paying attention to that because he was paying attention to something else. That's not his fault. What was he paying attention to? They they were having a huge (laughs) scuffle on on this little, little, like, little boat. don't you think the person he's been hunting this whole time he should be giving extra special attention to, especially because he's standing next to him? I think he was paying attention to something else, but, like, but the point is... Neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The point is, he's done smart things. (laughs) His end is kind of just as... kind of as dumb as Django's. Because... Django was a... Jango Mandalorians should be Jedi killers. He almost did. Twice. He almost killed Obi-Wan he, Kenobi. Yeah, and he almost his fight with Windu. Obi-Wan sh- shows his prowess as a fighter, and then he decides to go head-on with Mace Windu? Not Two a words, smart move. Sarlacc Pit. Sarlacc Pit. Sarlacc Pit. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, that's not a smart move. Him falling into the Sarlacc Pit. Also not a smart move. Like, they both had their flaws. And they both have their pluses. Okay. We see more of Django's. Mm-hmm. We see more of Django's in person. Yes. But they they both have pluses, but they're both kind of idiots. But anyway. <laughs> I bet you didn't think this podcast was going to turn into a Django versus Boba Fett <laughs> debate, but here we are. 
but yeah, honestly, with Force Awakens, um, even though there were a lot of familiar concepts, the twists on those concepts, I think Kylo Ren is one of the greatest characters they've made, even though he is a whiny brat. Yes. Um, he, for, for me, speaking as a singular solitary person, I love because he represents a lot of Star Wars fans. He is angry, he is worshipping the past, and he is so driven by his worship of that past that anything new is completely foreign to him and f- makes him fly into a rage. Yikes. Kylo Ren is so great as a character because my favorite moments are the moments where he just <laughs> flips out in this movie where it's like, hey, sir, we lost the girl. <laughs> just like starts uh... getting angry. <laughs> yeah, when the two stormtroopers are walking towards the room, they're like... Nope, not today. <laughs> and they walk away. I, I love all of his stuff. I love how... Um, I Watching both this and Last Jedi, I realized how much I love his lightsaber and his lightsaber form. Mm. I, I come from a... My mother's side of the family is a Scottish background. Scottish, for generations, were uh, users of what is called a broadsword giant ass thing have to use two hands if you try to use it with one hand you're basically like swinging around a tree trunk like you have no precision and that's exactly kylo ren's fighting style and i love it he takes like a wide stance at all times because using his lightsaber with one hand just throws him off balance whenever he does it and he's just like swinging for the fences he clearly is a student of luke at luke's Swing your lightsaber like a baseball bat academy. And I love that about him. Well, I think that's also kind of him trying to uh, be Vader because Vader also tr- used like one handed hand. technique. Right. I and agree. so he's trying to be like Grandpapa. Fair. <laughs> and I, I just, I thought he was so just, and his dynamic with Ray I thought was really good as well. Ray discovering the Force throughout the film I thought was really well done. I love the scene where she discovers Anakin's lightsaber and it starts like flashing her through oh, different moments. I still want to figure out that vision. I do too. <laughs> and the moment where like you hear Alex Guinness's Ray, like, and then at the very end you hear Ewan McGregor's. These are like so good sets up so much so good. for the stuff going forward. I I I want to ask you about this because rewatching Force Awakens, I was and maybe this is because I've already seen Last Jedi. Um, I was less invested in Snoke this time around watching it because I just and it I think it was less of and probably because of his fate. That was definitely I think part of it, but also I think because of recognizing that oh this is a Sidious rehash with someone who seems just a bit more facially wrecked than Darth Sidious is. (laughs) Um, But I was way more interested in the uh, Hux and Kylo Ren dynamic. They're weird brotherly rivalry. It's like like a brother slash almost like imperial officer kind of rivalry. I love... Hux's redheaded stepchild portrayal because he just wants Snoke to love him so much and he hates Kylo Ren. He absolutely hates him. I wish, like, this is, like, Last Jedi is also lower than Force Awakens because 
they also kind of did Hux dirty in Last Jedi. Because, Fair. Because so I thought he had some great moments in Last he Jedi. Has, he does have great moments, but he also has moments where they downplay his authority. Fair. Where, well, like, he, he doesn't get a giant Nazi-fueled speech before they fire off Starkiller base in Last Jedi either. But, but like, with with uh, Snoke just throwing him about in front of, like, subordinates... <laughs> Like that. I, still, I love that. Like, who's gonna respect him after that? Right. Like, and and also, uh, there was another moment. I can't think of it. But it's like it's moments like that where they yeah. like make they downplay Hux's true authority in the First Order for comedy. Yeah. And I think even though some of those moments do work, I think the moment where uh, Hux shows up in the throne room after. Uh, Ray and Kylo had that battle for the lightsaber, and he starts to pull his coat open oh for my. his blaster, and that's, then Kylo that's... like wakes up and he's like, "No, that's he closes what, his coat." That's one coat of the again. moments I love very much about. Hux. It's so good, and though I think we can both agree he's got nothing on Tarkin. I think he, oh, as man. a Tarkin Redux, he works yes. for the character. Um, but I will agree, he definitely seemed to have more authority in Force Awakens, and he seemed to have more agency, but I love the rivaling brother dynamic yes. that they have. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, which brings us to the biggest nostalgia bomb of that film, Han, Chewie, and the Millennium Falcon. Oh. The I remember watching the very first trailer for this movie, and the final shot is Han and Chewie in the Millennium Falcon going, Chewie... We're home. Oh my god! Just tears, just like, ah. <laughs> Love it so much. Han in this older statesman role, um, especially the scene where he's like, the Jedi, the Sith, all of it, it's real. Going from this, like, Hokey, re- from, hokey religions and ancient yeah! weapons. <laughs> going from a new hope being like, I'm a non believer, to Force Awakens where he's like, yeah, it's all real, man. Like, this is real stuff that happened. And even the moment where they're, like, on Starkiller base, and Finn is just like, well, we'll use the Force. And Han goes, that's not how it works. That's, that's how not the how the Force works. <laughs> and, I, and and especially his dynamic <laughs> with Chewie, where Chewie just, he's like, oh, you're cold? <laughs> like, I love their dynamic <gasps> oh, so much. so good. When he steals, when he's like, hey, can I borrow this? He takes Chewie's crossbow, and he starts, like, firing off. He's like, I like this thing. Like, Harrison Ford is Han Solo. Yes. And he's so good in this. His final scene with uh, with Ben, with Kylo Ren, is also really, really great. Really well shot. Um, and it's... for someone who never sees anything coming, that bridge, I'm like, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually me... saw that coming. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do it. <laughs> It was solidified there, but for me, it was the scene where he has the reunion with Leia, which was, oh, my heart, so good. Um, and then C-3PO pops up with his red arm. He's like, you probably didn't recognize me because of the red Still arm. Still being the blocker he was in <laughs> Empire Strikes and, Back. And has always been. Um, but the moment where they're about to leave and Leia goes, bring our son home. I'm like, he's dying. He's He's done. <laughs> He's gonna try and bring him home. He's not coming home. <laughs> and I, I really, really dug it. And then we get that final shot in the film of Ray showing up on the island, handing the lightsaber to Luke, and it's just like, boom, credits. All right, you gotta wait another two, three years for this. 
Um, so good. So uh, good. I think this movie is really, really well done. But it does have a notch lower than the top three just for its kind of reliance on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have liked a more original take on those um, on those concepts. Agreed. So, Jesse, what is your number three? We're heading into the, the cream of the crop here. What is your number three? Uh, mm, uh, mm. Okay. I'm in between a movie we haven't mentioned yet mm-hmm. and A New Hope, and I don't know which one to put at two or three. Well, you can go with release order or chronological order. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> um, but I think I think I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna think I'm gonna put a new hope here at number three. Yep. Nice, very cool. So why be, do you have it? Be, because of the stuff you mentioned before about how like the, the beginning half kind of drags. Right. Uh, but like it's still no, it's still top three. It's fantastic. So good. We're we're first introduced to iconic characters like Han Solo. And Luke, Leia, Obi Wan, Chewie, R two D two, three PO. Yeah. And like they're all fantastic characters. For sure. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just. I don't know why, but as I get older, I appreciate three PO more. Interesting. As a kid, I hated three PO. I just thought he was <laughs> an annoying robot that was not needed. Yes. But like as I grow older, I appreciate three PO more. Just because, like, he's he's the worry work mom of the group, <laughs> that like always he always cares about everyone's well being, right? Even if they think he's annoying, mm-hmm. he still cares about everyone and make sure trying to make sure everyone's okay. Yeah, it, probably his etiquette protocol coming in. Nah. Like, uh, like it, it's just like I love that about him. Of yeah. just like, and like his whole relationship with R two D two is just like so the, good, the perfect odd couple. Yeah. They are fantastic. And, and like, it's just, like, R2-D2 wouldn't be the same without 3PO. And vice versa. Yeah. And, and so it's just, like, ugh. And, like, and like the, the witty banter in this one is mm-hmm. just so good, especially when they're rescuing Leia. And, like, this is some rescue. And it's just, yeah. like, and, like, <laughs> she takes it into her, she takes her own rescue into her own hands. And yeah. just, like... Uh, oh my gosh it's so good and and like it's it's iconic it's like such a such a good movie so good just watched it this morning still great (laughs) so that is your even 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 with the george lucas edit out of (laughs) edits so that is your number three your number three is a new hope my number three is the last jedi uh, oh, I haven't. I did not expect it to it be way this high. higher on the list. I I compiled this list. Um, I put it all together last night, and this morning I was going through it, and I was looking through, just kind of taking myself removed from immediately watching them because that's when I started placing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie actually was. Um, it started at number six. But as I started to like move things around and like started to look at stuff, it's it just kept going up. And I did I could I didn't expect it to be this high, but it, but it's at number three for me because um, it does the thing that I really wanted uh, Force Awakens to do more, and it gives me something new. It doesn't rely on nostalgia. Yeah. Um, a lot of people miss I think incorrectly misconstrue the uh, theme of this is to let the past die. 
But for me, the theme of this is that is first of all, of course, um, as we stated before, greatness can come from anywhere, anywhere in the galaxy, from the most unlikely places. Mm -hmm. But also that you don't have to ignore the past, but you can't be controlled by it. Okay. And that you have to forge your own path. I think this is probably one of the most beautiful cinematography-wise films in the entire saga. Yes. Uh, Ryan Johnson's direction, I think, is fantastic. Uh, any battle in this film involving ships, I think, is the best in the series. Uh, speaking of space, I, th I feel like because we're ranking the movies, we have to bring up one scene that is very controversial. Uh, Are you is... talking about the bombers? No. No. Which one? Wizard Leia. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> Wizard Leia. All right, let's do it. How do you feel about Wizard Leia? I like when I first saw it. I thought it was really cool. But... I did too. Yeah, it's so like, and everyone's like, "What?" Like, yeah, it's very confusing because we haven't seen Leia Absolutely. use the Force like this. But it's also been like what thirty years. Well, and, like, I feel like the the Force works in mysterious ways. Yes. And I feel like it's not, you don't always have control of how much you use of it mm -hmm. at any time. So, like, Leia's dying in space. I think she would, like, unleash a whole lot of Force, like, and a lot of that power. And it sends her into a coma afterwards, too. Yeah, it's not, it's not like, oh, I'm fine. No, she yeah. she's in a coma for a while because, like... That was a huge event. It's not right. like it had any; it didn't have any consequences for that ability. And in the great, in the grand scheme of things, we have seen the force used in ridiculous ways. Starkiller pulled down an entire star destroyer. Um, well, I, I feel like, and even though that's not canon anymore, I'm, I'm like, but like force unleashed. Yeah, yes. Like, there's I, lots of problems. I love that game and all. Yes. But, but I feel like they, they were a little too OP. But my point is, like, we've seen the Force used and evolve as these movies have. Yes. In Let's track this. In A New Hope, the only Force that we know is Mind Trick. Well, Mind Trick and being able to guide uh, or be, be but able that, to... But that wasn't him pushing the missiles. It was no, him it was... trusting in the Force to guide it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was an it was, active it was, thing that he was doing. Yeah, it was active. That's why he had the shot off the computer. Yeah, but it wasn't him being like, all right, so I've sent off the blasts, and now I'm going to guide them down into... No, the... it was it was just him being like, okay, this is the moment I need to release it. Right. Like, the force, depending it, on the force for that yeah, timing. But it wasn't him act actively like, all right, I'm going to send this missile, and then that missile. So... Those were the only instances in the original and, film. And blaster deflection. Even though it wasn't used to its full potential, it was still... It was... It, it's the base... The primary, like, basics but, of it was but the blaster used. the blaster deflection was with the lightsaber. Yeah. It wasn't them, like, deflecting it with he's, the force. He's using the force to see where the blasters but again, are. But again, it's, it's cerebral. So it's very, like, contained within yourself. Empire introduced the idea of force push, force pull. So up until that point, we didn't have that. And force choke. And force choke. So we we didn't have those. The force evolved as the films evolved. Yes. And so people who had the complaint of like, 
well, we've never seen the Force used that way, so that's not real Force. It's like, stop. Empire Strikes Back, Vader Force chokes someone through Skype. Through Skype. And then also, (laughs) we had never seen somebody pull a lightsaber using the Force like Luke does in the Wampa Cave. Yeah. Like, the Force is this... It's a mysterious It's a mysterious thing. Yes. Just because you haven't seen it used in a certain way doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I don't personally have a problem with Space Wizard Leia. Like I I have like slight problems with it, but okay, not discuss. but not I not enough to totally dismiss it. Fair. Like like it was weird? Absolutely. But like the yeah. force is weird. Right. And like the weird thing like Luke, I could see doing it. Mm-hmm. Leia seems he, seems a little off, but she's like we've she seen is him. She's a retur- Skywalker. She is a Skywalker and Return the Jedi. Like they talk, they she, talk she, about. There is another. Well, and she uses the Force. Like we, so, like she sensed things and like yes, and she's she's commu- in, they and, communicate see, an empire. empire. Yeah. yeah, so that's how they like, find him. So, so like she has speed. Force abilities just because yeah. she's not trained as a Jedi. Doesn't and we mean don't those... know that, and we don't know that she wasn't. Just because we didn't see it doesn't mean that Luke didn't I, train her. I I think that she wasn't. Just because her her role is not to be the Jedi. Well and that I'm was not, that I'm was her brother. She wasn't like trained in like Jedi art or uh, lightsaber arts, but Luke helping to hone her use of the force and Okay. Her... So like something like that I would agree with. Yes. Like 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 That's her, what I'm talking about. Yeah, like yeah. her bro, help, like helping her out and like and getting her more finely attuned with the force. Yeah, and so like yeah, so she's not using it for like the traditional Jedi ways, but she's just understanding her more of herself. Right, and so like it's not beyond her to use the force. Yeah, and in this, in the previous movie, in Force Awakens, we saw Kylo Ren stop a blaster bolt, which like, was we so had never cool. seen that before. <laughs> And it's so interesting to me that, like, people just discard Leia's use of the Force just because, oh, we never saw her train and all this stuff. But anyway, I don't have a problem with it. I think that, again, Last Jedi is one of the, one of the prettiest Star Wars films. The Just <gasps> the shot of the Luke standing... Yes, I'm getting to okay. it. Just the shot of... <laughs> Luke standing against the First Order. I oh, so all of the good. all of the projections in the cave with Ray, everything. Ray lifting the rocks at the end. Um, absolutely loved it. Loved Kylo's arc. Loved Luke's arc. And now we're gonna talk about it. The light speed assault. Like I will say, that was so. Oh. I will say that I still watching it again. It still doesn't make any sense to me why Laura Dern's character A was there and B didn't tell everyone about the plan. It doesn't make any sense to me why she didn't tell anyone. I know about part B. Okay, tell me that. Well, because that's the biggest problem I have with that whole movie. Because resistance, they're working as a military operation. Yes, absolutely. And so, with military operations, there is like a hierarchy, and so these people know way more information than these people. And I think right. that's a part of Poe's story arc. Yes, I agree. But we are never given any kind of indication that anyone besides Holdo knows what this plan is, because all we see is her saying, "Nope, just keep going." 
Nope, just keep going. We never see her discussing it with anyone. But, we never see that there's like a have and have not situation with people who know the plan and people who don't know the plan. Okay. Poe doesn't go to other people like, hey, dude, what's Holdo's plan? He goes to Holdo because she isn't sharing with anybody. That's the part that bothers me about it. Okay, okay. So there's that, and then... Um, but we do get this gorgeous shot when everyone is escaping the crate. She turns the flagship around, and she engages the hyperdrive straight into Snoke's ship. I love how the sound just goes out. Oh, gosh. Like, and it just, like... S- saw that in the theater. It was oh, yeah. Just, just as quiet as the film. <laughs> we're just like... Oh my god. Like, it's crazy. Wow. Though, I still believe, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you after seeing the first film, for the film the first time or not, I still believe that there is a better, there would have been a better way to do this while serving a character better who got the short end of the stick in this film. And that character is Admiral Akbar. Admiral Akbar in this film gets blown out of the bridge just like Leia does, but... He is not a Skywalker, so he does not get to Space Wizard his way back to safety. So he dies. For me, if it had been the Eric Azana cut of The Last Jedi, <laughs> Akbar would have been in the Holdo position. Holdo would not have been a character. If she was, she would have been a minor character who would have had more of a place later oh, on. Oh, that would have been so, so good. Akbar is the one that stays behind, and as he's turning the ship around, there is a, there is a moment... When he engages the hyperdrive and someone on the First Order shouts, It's a trap! And he, boom, just shoots through. It's full circle. We get an amazing send-off for a character, which in this sequel trilogy, they've been killing off older characters left and right. Everyone keep a sharp eye on Lando in this film. Oh, um, no! Um, so I, that's how I would have done it. Mm. Having Akbar spring his own trap in that film would have i think given the right send off for that character but i am still thankful for the beauty of that shot of yeah. shooting through oh, it was gorgeous, gorgeous. i also i love the set deco of snoke's throne room so good so like gothic almost castlevania style and then the like we mentioned earlier the full fight between Ray, Kylo, and the guards was so well done. Showing off, like, different fighting styles, different weapons, even though I think this kind of would have been a great place to put the Knights of Ren for the two of them to, like, battle against. Yeah. I'm sure we're gonna get... We've seen that Knights of Ren are showing up in Rise of Skywalker, so I'm hoping that we get as good, if not a better throwdown in that film with them. Yeah, and we're and we got to see in conventional ways of using a lightsaber. Yes. Of like I'm just going to turn it on right here. Oh, I <laughs> loved that. It was so um it was so understated and he just and you don't even really see the blade. You just hear it go off and on. And then the camera pans and the guard falls back and there's this gaping hole where his eye used to be like so well done. Um, Kylo turning the lightsaber to kill Snoke I thought was incredible and then the shot of the lightsaber through Snoke coming at him towards the screen and then boom Ray catches it they get up and they share that look it was fantastic 
Uh, um, even though you hate Raylo, I'm like you said about the Ewoks, neither here nor there on Raylo. I know that it is not going to end well for them in this film. I feel so. like people are pushing it way too hard. Like that that ship, they're trying to make it sail so bad, and I just we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I hate it, but um, but yeah, so that is both second of... second most toxic relationship in all of Star Wars. <laughs> Behind Anakin and Padme, right? Behind, yeah, okay, absolutely. Cool. Uh, so those are our number threes. So now for our number twos. Jesse, what is your number two? Okay, hold on. I think I think our twos and our ones might be the same. They might be. So I'll be very surprised if they're different. Because my number two is Rogue oh. One. Yeah, it's Rogue One. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I was gonna be like, what? If yeah, your if you're your right, number one right. was Rogue One, I was gonna be like, wow. It was. I can't believe Rogue while. One is my number two. I I knew it would be. I've been saying since I first saw Rogue One that it's top three for me. I love. I love Rogue, Rogue one. one. It's so good. And it's and it had no right to be as good as it was. <laughs> like this is a story that is literally trying to expand upon one line in the opening crawl for uh, a new hope. Actually, it expands on like the first like paragraph or so. I guess that's true. You're right. And it's just like, wow, it really lined everything up. It was like the fir- I think it was like the first couple of paragraphs. It like lined up that whole like got yeah. to play. There was this huge. There was this huge battle. They got some plans from the Death Star, and now they're running away. And it's like, that's the whole battle of Scarif! Oh yeah, my that, god! It's, it's the whole film is talking about that, but in the way that I think the prequels didn't, this film shows a lot, but doesn't tell. I think mm-hmm. the amount of stuff that they do here with what they really had to work with was fantastic. Um... Because they have to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time um, with a story that we had never really heard before. Mm -hmm. A story that people aren't very familiar with, with characters who, for the most part, we have no prior knowledge of. I thought it was so well done. And I think that this... I think they announced that there's going to be a Cassian Andor and K2 show? I think so. For Disney Plus? Totally in. Totally in. Really? I mean, I mean K, K2SO, I'm in. I just, you I didn't like Cassie and Andor. I still don't like Cassie and Andor. That's so interesting. I don't like him at all. Tell me why. The actor is does a fantastic job with Cassie. Yes. He's just like, a, just a garbage person. Oh, that's why you don't like, okay, I thought it was like, oh, he's just, he's a, he's a bad character, but him being a bad person, I can understand. He's, like, he's, but not, he has an arc. In this film, he goes from like a bad person to like to a, a slightly less, less bad, bad person, person, and that's okay <laughs> because it, it really showed that like the and the like, rebellion wasn't squeaky clean in the original trilogy. It's war; you have to make harsh decisions in war. I know. I just didn't like his decisions. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I totally and so understand. that's that's why I don't like Cassian. Right. I just don't agree with his decisions that that's he fair. made. That's but fair. like most of his decisions were kind of necessary for the story. Right. And I think that like it sets the bar very quickly with his opening scene 
where where the guy like gives him the info about uh, the pilot, he's, and he's just like, "I can't climb out of here with my arm." He's like, it's "Yeah, okay. you're calm, right. Calm, calm down, calm down. It'll be all right." Bam! Boom! Just he like, shoots Gah! him, and I was like, "Dude, Cassian's hardcore." Yeah, he, he, but, does, he but, does what he needs to to survive. Right, and, and he does what he needs to for a cause that he believes in, which forces him to do things that he may not like or enjoy doing. And you see throughout this film that he is forced to make choices that he might not agree with. And and he, he sticks to them. Like, he does. That, that one scene with, with Jin, when Jin's like, you shouldn't have done that, is it's like, it's like, anyone just have a problem with me? Like, like, I did what I had to do. Right. And I love the moment where he kind of, like, he really tries to um, explain himself and validate. He's like, I've been doing this since I was six years old. Like, this is the only life that I know. And and Jin still didn't agree with it. And he's like, you know what? I don't have to explain this to you. Yeah. And it's and like, it's, all it's right, two characters. You're, you're, you're sticking to your guns. Well, and, and it's two like, characters that, like, kind of have a sort of platonic romance thing. But I really like that they're both coming from two perspectives that are just at an impasse. Like, yes. they're not willing to compromise who they are. Except Cassian is maybe a little willing to compromise who he is. Yeah, because you as see that movie, towards the end. As the movie goes along, he starts to make compromises <laughs> for Jin. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing someone who really was only out for himself and his cause start to care about someone else, while at the same time someone who is out legitimately just for themselves starts to care about the cause. Yeah, I loved the... Um, change in both of them i think for me personally cassian's arc is stronger than Jin's. but having this just the concept of this film first off being a full-on war film in the vein of a star wars film yes i am a sucker for war films always and i i, I think this is like in the star wars the star wars franchise i think this kind of stuff is where they stand out the strongest. Absolutely. Where where they're like, okay, this is a war film just in the Star Wars universe. Yes. And it works beautifully. Yeah. It's, and it's like, the... uh, another example, not necessarily movie, but The Mandalorian. Yes. It is a space western that it just so happens to be in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it works beautifully because of that. Right. And I think that them taking that kind of idea and making suitably morally gray characters really helps elevate this movie. Like, I was surprised at the things that they did because, and I spoke about this earlier with uh, my number eight, but the same uh, argument that I had for uh, not really caring about Solo did not carry over to this because this is a movie that is absolutely vital. Like, this is a movie that has to do heavily with episode four. <laughs> episode four does not happen without this movie. Yep. So having these characters on this insane mission, the building of the rebellion, and all of that stuff really makes this movie stand up among a lot of its peers. And having characters that you love and are, oh care about, K2SO is an incredible character. My- Congratulations. You're being rescued. <laughs> throws down yeah like the, <laughs> would you like would you like to know the odds of her using that blaster against you they're very high it's high it's very, very high. high like i loved him and when he was killed it hurt that was so rough. bad that i was rough. cared about that character and then we get two of possibly the best characters in the entire star wars franchise 
Chirrut, Imwe, and Baze. Yes! Oh my gosh, I love those two so much. I love Chirrut, and there's so many theories that I have that no one cares about him. Space husbands. They are the best. Really? I, I have a theory. I just have my, a theory. My theory is What are that your theories? Tell my me. My theory... Well, the one theory that I have that probably no one else cares about, uh, well, when it comes to the lore of Star Wars, is that Chirrut's Force-sensitive. Absolutely, I think he is. It. There is no... Maybe Star, not like in official Star Wars. I think, I don't think officially in Star Wars he's force sensitive. Mm-hmm. I think he's force sensitive. Well, maybe not to the amount of like a Jedi. Yeah, not Jedi level. Like you would never like look at him and be like, yeah, we'll take. He's got a high midi calorian count, but like he is attuned. He is force sensitive because he does. I'm like, one of the force. The force like, with me. I'm one with the force. He's at least as force sensitive as C three PO is in the opening <laughs> scene. <laughs> Of a new hope, <laughs> but like this, there's certain things that he does that I feel like not even wise, blind <clears throat> martial artist would be able to would do. be able to do. Right, I agree. One the first thing he does is point out a necklace that's probably underneath two layers of clothing. Yeah, like it's, one it, or one or two layers of clothing. That's Matt Murdock levels of being blind. Yeah, your sensory and abilities. he's a superhero. Yes, <laughs> and so is Chira Imwe. Like that guy, he he's is. so he is he's so fun. I also I love the scene when Saul's men take them away and they put the bag over. It's like, <laughs> are, you are you kidding, kidding? me? I, I'm, I'm blind. <laughs> like I love him. He's so funny. The mo- this his scenes with Bays are also really compelling. Where you know he goes after uh, Jin. I think I think it's on Edu Edu, and he's like he's like good luck and he's like i don't need luck i have you <laughs> like their relationship is so so amazing. good i love and i love like there's a certain like there's a certain amount of the fandom who subscribe to them being space husbands there's a certain amount of the fandom that prescribe to them being more like brothers i kind of fall somewhere in between okay. i like the idea of like this this bitter old like this bitter old couple who are just at an impasse with each other and are unable to align their um, their points of view. I think it's fantastic. Baze also goes through a little arc. One of my favorite moments, and it's so small in this movie, is when they're going, getting ready to go to Scarif. And he reaches over, he puts his hand on um, on Jin, and he goes, Godspeed, little sister. Like, oh, yeah, just, that was such a good little I was moment. Like, I love that, that moment. moment. All of the moments with these characters, you feel them. You care about these <sighs> characters. You care about their relationships. And getting to the only person who might be a little um, on the contrary for that is of course our pilot mm. because the he is the star of the one terrible scene of this film that didn't need to be in this film and that is the tentacle monster scene well it's just like it shows how like off his rocker saw Guerrero's but they could have done that it could have been implied they could have been like literally when they take Bodhi away when he's like shouting he's like no no like he sent me to find you and then the next time we see him be in his cell where he's like really messed up you could infer some messed up stuff happened to him. Like, you could easily just take out the entire scene with this tentacle monster and it would not change the film at all yeah like my preferred Rogue One cut, again, <laughs> just, just does that scene. Just gone. literally takes out that scene, and nothing else has changed. Yeah, it's but just 
Gosh, Sagarera is just Sagarera is an interesting character he's, as well here. Yeah, because like he's he's so interesting yet so crazy. Yeah, like you don't need him in the film. I would argue again, but the stuff that they involve with him, we don't get enough. Like I would love more Sagarera in this film. We get a lot of Vader allusions too, which were strange. Well, it well like I think the whole thing with Sagarera is it it shows like an extremist side of the rebellion and like how like they're not perfectly aligned with the rebellion but they are like questionably the good guys (laughs) (laughs) well and we saw that again for those of you who didn't watch the clone wars sagarero was a character in the clone wars Mm -hmm. cartoon uh different eye color (laughs) different ethnicity like completely (laughs) just different person but um Bringing him into live action and making him Forrest Whitaker, I thought, you know, Forrest Whitaker's an incredible actor. Yes. And he did the most that he could with what he was given, which I, honestly I, was not a lot. I, I feel like he did a good job with it, though. I think so, too. And the stuff that they gave him, showing him to be kind of a radicalist, um, them all not really sure of where his allegiances lie, but him ultimately allowing Jin to escape so that they can save the dream, I thought was a really nice line. Mm. Those. Watching him die when Jenna was destroyed, like really, really cool stuff. And that scene in Jenna really giving us um, on the ground level of this space war that's going on in the stars, I thought was really, really cool. Um, they also did uh, did a little bit of fan service throughout the film, uh, but it you wasn't best like watch a- yourself. <laughs> See. And I love that, but the more you think about it, the worse it is. You love and hate it at the same time. Because it's like, they better be on their way to their ship. Otherwise, how do they escape Jedha? How do they make their way to Tatooine? There's a lot of problems with that. But if you just look at it as like, ah, that was a cool moment. It's fine. Yes. Um, We also get some of the best Darth Vader scenes, I think, in the trilogy in this movie. Including... My favorite Darth Vader line of any single movie ever. Careful not to choke on your aspirations. I love that so much. Vader is sassy like that. You see that in A New Hope. Like, like, oh, your stupid religion. And then Force chokes him and says... I find your lack of faith disturbing. And, like, it's... Those are lines... Like, people had a problem with that line. It's like, no. That's lines he would actually say. He's proven this since A New Hope. I love dad joke Vader. Like, and and it puts him in this... You know, where... It's clearly Mustafar. And it's clearly Vader's cab... Or castle on Mustafar. Again, the set deco is incredible. Um... Director Krennic is also very well done here. I really liked him as a character. Um, I think that his rivalry with um, Tarkin, with Uncanny Valley Tarkin, was also really well done. Even though in high def, Tarkin is not great visually. The, well, they I... did the best he could. And watching this film, I was like. Oh man, this is a great Fallen Order cutscene. This is fantastic. Oh wait, no, this is a live action movie I'm watching. Um, 
Tarkin is the best. It's, it's either a really good video game rendition or really I mean, bad live action. Yeah. So I I had problems with it. I don't think he needed to be in the film as much. The opening scene that he's in, where you just see his reflection in the window, I was like, if it had cut there and we didn't see him again, or it was just like off screen stuff, loved it. Would have loved it. I don't know. I I I actually liked Tarkin being there, and I'm, I'm and down like for more Tarkin, and his whole deal with like his ruthlessness and like, you, like totally, taking like, cr- taking credit for credit he only Death Star. he only takes credit once he knows it works yes and i love it because tarkin's an evil bastard like like, like the whole awful. like well i didn't want to invite vader in and, and the emperor just in case this doesn't work i don't want to embarrass you and then it works and, he's and like then it works he's just like cool cool cool, cool chill i've i've, uh, I've informed the emperor about your uh, about this weapons test and that i will be taking command of the Death Star project, love it. It's My such achievement, awful... not yours. I love that scene. Just office drama is so good and so well done in this. Politics, movie. well done. Politics, well done. Take note. Take note. Prequels. Um, but I love that. Um, and I guess, I guess we'll talk about it here. Um, the Death Star being used in this film was so well done. When it showed up in the sky of Scarif, I audibly went, oh no. (laughs) I was like, oh no. Because even though I'm sure a lot of people knew that none of the characters in this film were making this out of this alive, I held on hope. hope. Oh, same. I held on hope that some of them would be able to escape because this is a big freaking galaxy. Okay. They could go off somewhere. We'd never see them again. It's a wide space. If if you were to have one of them, you could only have one live. Who would you have? Cassian Andor. Really? Cassian Andor. That is the character I would have live. Um, just because he gets, again, speaking just from my uh, perspective, from a certain point of view, um, he has the most complete arc, and this being a, this being kind of the final mission that he did, in service of the rebellion that he's been making, really questionable choices for this entire time, causing everyone that he got really close to to die, and him being like, I can't do this anymore, and he leaves the rebellion shortly oh. after this. I think would have been a great move for his character. What character would you have live? I'm in between two. Okay. And it would have been... Is it, Chir- is it Chirrut and Vase? Maybe. <laughs> because think about it. If Chirrut survives, mm-hmm. if he tells a story, he's just a crazy blind man, and no one will believe him. Fair. I love that. <laughs> if Bay survives, he would never talk about it. Right. Because he lost Chirrut. Mm-hmm. And he would just be probably it'd probably be a sadder darker version of Bay's. oh for sure like he would go if we ever come up he would go full dark mercenary yes and so that would be interesting to see as well yeah i think any one of those three stories could have been great like yep. it's but overall and i think that just speaks to how cool and how um engaging these characters are well, in this film and just the and like they did excellent world building with this yes. just this movie alone and you like you can start your viewing with this movie and it's it's such a uh like the movie just 
does such a glam up on everything. Everything. Like, they glam up the stormtroopers. Like, I, I've i never wanted to wear stormtrooper armor <laughs> ever until I saw those shore troopers. Oh, yeah. I would, like, if I were ever to cosplay a stormtrooper outfit, I would exactly. love to do a shore trooper armor. Any of the trooper armors in this film are so Oh, yeah. Good. They look great. Even uh, even in Solo. Mm-hmm. Like, like these Those new movies, really they did real glam-ups on, the sh- on like, oh, Stormtrooper yeah, armor. Sure. And they, like, they just took such careful time to not just build this world, but put characters in it that you cared about. And, and like, they came from places I wanted to know more about. Right. Like, who are the Guardians of the Wills? What are they all about? I want to know more about them. Mm-hmm. I want to know... What happened to them? What? Yeah, what happened to them? I want to know more about True and Bays as both of them being Wait, Guardians of the Wills. Why did Bays lose faith? Like, these are such like interesting stories. We finally get a We finally get a book about them, and it's just their adventures during Rogue One from their, their perspective, and it's just like... Is that what... It, boo. I'm like... No! That's not what I wanted. I wanted them like in the height of the Guardians of the Wills. Yeah. And, like I want like they gave they added lore that I wanted so much to know like more about. Exactly. And I think they they took these characters and took once again talking about earlier with uh, Force Awakens, they took concepts that we knew and remixed them in ways that we had never expected. Like I didn't know that you know, uh, Galen Erso's uh, whole design flaw was intentional. It had been a joke for decades yes. on why the Death Star had such a blatant exploit. It's intentional now. And we get, you know, the whole story with Krennic trying to gain um, clout within the Empire, Tarkin unceremoniously taking it from him, and wiping out the evidence. Of Krennic. Oh my gosh. Scary. Him, be, the first thing that the dark, the Death Star hits is Krennic. Is Krennic, and I love like, that. Wow. Just, oh, so good. And then we get the scene that everyone talks about with Rogue One. The hallway fight with Darth Vader. Okay, so people talk a lot about his stealth mode of just, like, turning off all his lights. If you look at A New Hope... The only lights that ever come on are on his belt. His chest piece is not lit up during A New Hope. All of A New Hope. Interesting. Okay. I know, like, I know, and, like, I was just, like, looking at those kind of details, yeah. and I was, like, looking at Vader. Vader looks exactly like a New Hope version of Vader. Yes. Which is different than is. Empire and the, Return. Uh, the, with with the, 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 like, uh, it's, like, tabards of yeah, sorts. Tabards of, like, over over the, the armor. armor. And they, and the red glints and the lenses too, like such an attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we've got those familiar rebel uh, soldiers like running through the hallway. They've got the Death Star plans. They were just beamed up. They make it to the door, and the door won't open. And then the lights go off, and you're like, "Oh, oh what's, what's happening here?" No. And then you just hear, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh God!" And then the lightsaber ignites. And we just get incredible... Like, this is the stuff that makes Darth Vader a terror for the Rebellion. Like, we saw in A New Hope and in Empire Strikes Back, everyone is scared to death of Vader, with the exception of Tarkin. But this is the reason why. 
because he does stuff like this when he's like just chopping people just in half. Massacre. He sends the guy up into the ceiling, forgets about him, kills two more guys, like, oh yeah, slices him in half. Like, it becomes quickly the guy at the door is just like, help us, help us. Okay, just take the plans. We're dead. We're dead. <laughs> like, it's so good. That moment with that rebel is just like, man. Well, and it, it really is a summary of the entire movie because the original plan is to go down to Scarif, get the plans, escape with them. Then they, you know, close the planetary shield. Then they have to find a way. They, the ship blows Bodhi, up. Bodhi, keep the ship running. You're the or you're our escape out of here. Bodhi blows up. <laughs> they, then they have to send the plans because there's no getting off of Scarif. Like it's oh. it summarizes the entire movie in that one hallway fight, and he is just a terrifying creature, just just massacring everyone in that hallway. And then as the rebels are able to escape, the lights turn on and it's a familiar white hallway. Um, we, you know, the ship escapes and it's that familiar ship from the opening of A New Hope. And my thing with this that I love is that this entire movie completely doesn't just run up to the opening of Star Wars, but completely recontextualizes that opening scene. Because Vader catches up to that ship, shows up, and Leia's like, I'm on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. And Vader's like, bitch, I just saw your ship! Leave my ship! I just saw you! Don't lie! You and can't it, get out of this, your highness! It makes sense why he was so, like, angry with her in that conversation. It's like, you're a leader for the rebellion, and I'm taking you into custody. Like, I would have reacted the same way. Like, you can't lie to me. This is the same ship. I just killed six of your guys. Like, I love that. I absolutely love that. And we do get that final shot in the film where we go to, once again, incredible PS4 Jedi Fallen Order cutscene Leia. Oh, um, the only thing is, this one carries a lot of weight with it because this came out two months after Carrie Fisher passed away. Yeah. That hit me like a freight train when that scene came on. I thought, again, with the same feeling that I got when we saw Tarkin's reflection in the window, I thought that it was just going to be her back and they're going to be like, ma'am, we have this for you. And then it was going to cut off. But they hand it to her she turns around they're like what does this mean and she looks up and she says hope like oh hits me right in the heart so good um and we talked about it a little bit uh earlier with our characters that we would have liked to survive but we do get um none of the characters surviving um, <laughs> all of them die sequentially with uh Jin and cassian dying on the beach loved that moment the two of them you know sitting there saying you know do you think anyone heard us you know, do you think we're going to matter? And at the end, you find out they do matter. This yeah. mission mattered. Um, there's just one little nitpick I have with their death scene. And that is right as... Because the Death Star destroys Scarif. Um, that's right as the blast is about to hit them. Dago Luna's eyes open. And he kind of, like, looks like... Did we cut? Like, that's the... No. That's, that's what I got. For me, every time I see that, he looks and he like he glances over <laughs> right before they get enveloped by the light, and it ruins it for me every time. Oh, I don't. I didn't even if notice. If he had just kept his eyes closed for just I a just, few just more just a seconds, couple more seconds, it would have been fine. But 
Overall, I love this movie to death. It is exactly what I wanted for this film, and it is absolutely, rightfully so, at number two. And um, another thing that no one cares about except me. Do it. Um, so I paid attention, because I have my Blue Leader pin, Yes. I was paying attention to how many pe- people who were a part of Blue Squadron yes, survived. Yes, 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 yes. There are only three. Three from Blue Squadron, and, and uh, Red Five gets killed in this space battle as th- well. The only three that survive don't make it to the planet, and that is the only reason why they survive. Yep. <laughs> and Red Five dies diving into that planetary shield, and all of the... And if you don't know the significance of Red Five, that's Luke's call sign Luke's call in, sign a, new in hope. a New Hope. <laughs> Opens up the door. Um... But I also love, as a quick side note to what you were saying, they used stock footage of the original pilots who showed up at the Battle of Scarif. Yep, red and gold leader. So good. I yep. loved the usage of that, though. That I will was so say, cool. The lack of porkins is disturbing. I find the lack of porkins <laughs> disturbing. But no, I loved the usage of that. And again, using nostalgia correctly. Yes. Was just, it was so good. So that is both of our number twos. And I think we can unequivocally say at number one we're gonna say it on three one two three christmas special Ah! (laughs) 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 no of course it is empire strikes back the best film of the star wars original trilogy of star wars all of them um so good such a good film it was the follow-up to a new hope probably the film that had the most pressure on it yes in the entire original trilogy um so good so good and it's one of those films that you kind of that you hear a lot in people's best list of films not best star wars films but best films because this is not just a great star wars film this is a great film in its own right Yes. Um, there's been a lot of talk recently about uh, Martin Scorsese and his uh, views on the MCU not being cinema. I think this film really is cinema. I think this film is fantastic. Um, it, it stands very well on its own. Absolutely, and it is um, it is the darkest of the of the original trilogy. Yes. A lot happens. A lot of bad stuff happens. But a lot of good stuff happens. Good stuff as well. Um, Han and Leia. (laughs) Han and Leia. We finally get the payoff for that. um, As well as a brief kissing scene between Luke and Leia. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Um, (laughs) But we do get some really great set pieces. Hoth, Dagobah, Cloud City. Like, all really good stuff. We get Lando. Get Lando, the introduction of Lando. Yoda. The introduction of Yoda is also in this film. Um, Love crazy old Yoda. Crazy old Yoda. The uh, asteroid field scene where they have to dip, where they have to dodge, dip, duck, dive, and dodge (laughs) through the asteroids. If you can dodge a space lug, you can dodge a ball. (laughs) So just so good. I love the Hoth battle. Uh, The ATATs all really really well done Mm -hmm. um anything that we say has really been already said about this film but it is fantastic we get the um the furthering of luke's training not just as a jedi but in the force um we get 
once again, Han and Leia establishing their uh, their connection, their romance. No, no matter how hard C-3PO tries. No matter how hard he tries <laughs> to get between it. And really, no matter how hard they try to not... Um, uh, not confess their feelings for each other. Like, I love the scenes between them. You know, just everything on the Hoth base, them in Cloud City. Oh, yeah. Uh, just so good. Just really, really good. Um, Luke's training with Yoda is also fantastic. Um, this also birthed the Seagulls song, which if you know, <laughs> you know. Um, Thank it you, al- thank also, you, bad lip reading. Yes, it also <laughs> uh, gave us the very first inclination of uh, Vader being Luke's father in the cave. Um, just dark side, so dark side caves, and revealing heritage, like heritage. It's just weird. Just goes across. Really, just goes across. It's it's, it's it's weird how like cave, like dark side caves, and ancestry dot com have like a lot in common. Yeah, they both charge ridiculous fees to find out who your parents are. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I mentioned it before, but I don't think a lot of people talk about just how cool a planet Hoth is. Both literally, how cool? Li- literally, shut up. Um, <laughs> both literally and figuratively, uh, I think. Because we see a lot of desert planets in Star Wars. We see a lot of island planets in Star Wars. We don't see enough ice planets in Star Wars. And I loved Hoth. I loved yeah. the design. I love the snow troopers, the speeders, the AT-ATs being used here. Yeah. Really, really well done. Just to show like the scariness of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a Vader. It can just be a huge walking mechanical camel. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> <Of death. laughs> and it just... Showing Dagobah as well, I thought was really cool. Um, furthering Luke's training when it came to his use of a lightsaber, his use of the Force, the sickest burn in the entire the entire saga. I don't believe it. That is why you fail. It's like, like boom, roasted. Oh! <laughs> like so good. Um, and we also get to see, I would say, Vader at his most terrifying. Oh yeah, Force choking through Skype. Force choking through Skype, um, you know, setting up a really nice festive feast just for Han Solo to shoot at him for no reason. Love Cloud City Thanksgiving. Cloud City Thanksgiving! (laughs) Um, And him, like, when Han gets frozen in the carbonite, the first thing you see is Vader's mask come through the smoke, and it is terrifying. Like, this is a Vader who got embarrassed at the Death Star, and he is not messing around Not playing. So, and my favorite when Luke goes to fight him and they're fighting in that chamber, um, Luke trips and falls and he just goes, all too easy. Just like, what a dick. Like, just so in control. Oh, and, and further dad Vader, uh, Forrest choking that one guy and is like, apology accepted. Like, just like, okay. <laughs> he kills two people across this film and replaces them. He kills the first guy for failing him, replaces him with the other guy. Kills that guy, and then replaces him with another guy. And it's just the ruthlessness of the Empire is on is on display here. And of course, it is the Empire Strikes Back. So that would make sense you know, yes. with the title. But showing just how desperate the rebels are, especially after the ending of A New Hope. Having a full-on ceremony where Chewie never got a medal. 
Um, it, it, I guess in the comics, apparently he. It doesn't matter one, in but... the comics, Jesse. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I just this film does everything to really show you the stakes of the rebellion's war yes. of the Star War. And um, it gives us one of the greatest cinematic twists in all of film history. Yep. No. And also one of the most, most misquoted lines ever. No. I am your father. Just, oh, I remember watching that the very first time. And the music just... And I remember sitting there as a kid going... I don't think he's kidding. <laughs> I don't think he's lying. Like, oh my god. And like, right. Luke is not even able to process this. He's just like, no, I'd rather kill myself. Like, it's so interesting. You also get to see um, uh, Darth Sidious for the first time in this film. Uh, you get to see... Uh, okay, uh, Empire Strikes Back. There is one positive thing to the George Lucas edit. Uh, he looks like weird, like weird puffy eyes in the the original theatrical version. Oh yeah, he looks gross. Yeah, and then in this one he looks like Darth Sidious. I think it was because it was a different actor. Probably. Um, Ian McDermott. Yeah, so and good. so like so one good thing about the edits. There you go, George. <laughs> There's your one. You did it. Everybody gets one. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so good. Um, and then, you know, that also that lightsaber fight between luke and vader is so well done um so good so good and really like ending the film on a low note like we don't know what's gonna happen next i thought was fantastic and overall just such a good film such a good film in its own right yep so we've talked a lot about uh about films here today and space jesus and all that stuff but there's only one jesus that I want to talk about. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, who, are you, who in Star Wars? Who, is, who are you going to mention? Oh God, I'm not ready. <laughs> no, but that is the official ranking for the Star Wars films. I want to throw this disclaimer up here. As always, these are just our lists and they are objective. They are the only lists that matter. The true and only lists that you can really put up against anything. And anything who dis- disagrees with us is wrong. But no, these are our subjective lists that we compiled ourselves. Um, if you have a list that is, you know, close to this, differs a little bit, or is wi- wildly different, I would love to hear about it. I'd love to have that conversation with you. To recap... Uh, my list is at number 10, Phantom Menace, at number 9, Attack of the Clones, at mm-hmm. number 8, Solo, at number 7, Revenge of the Sith, at number 6, Return of the Jedi, at number 5, A New Hope, at number 4, The Force Awakens, at number 3, The Last Jedi, at number 2, Rogue One, and of course, at number 1, Empire Strikes Back. Recap for Jesse's list. Uh, number 10 was... <laughs> Do I remember my own list that we just discussed? Uh, <laughs> number 10 was uh, Attack of the Clones. Number 9 was uh, Phantom Menace. Or 8 was uh, Revenge of the Sith. Number... What am I on? 7? Seven. Seven. Uh, what did I have after that? Oh, gosh. I don't remember. I think 7 you had Solo. Yes. Because we were interchanging those. For yes. Yes. Yeah. 7 was Solo. 
Uh, six was, I think, uh, was it last? I think Jedi? you said last. Jedi. Last Jedi. Number five. five. Well, sorry, this is such a struggle <laughs> because I didn't write down my list <laughs> like an idiot. Uh, five was Force Awakens. No, Return. Oh, Return, uh, Return of the Jedi. Then four was. F- yeah, four was Force Awakens because we had the same one. There. Yeah, four was Force Awakens. Three was A New Hope. Rogue One. And then Empire Strikes Back. Jeez, that was a struggle. <laughs> I need to write so, those down. Again, those were our lists. Um, really just a great portfolio overall. Like, all of these films range from meh to good to fantastic to amazing. So um, if you haven't done yourself a favor and watched all of these, do it. Especially do it especially because episode good Good. (laughs) do it do it now especially since episode nine is coming out once again we're recording this a couple weeks in advance but we will be dropping this the week of rise of skywalker i'm really excited about it oh my god (laughs) i don't know what's gonna happen (laughs) so um before we head out of here for this segment is there anywhere we can plug you social medias if anyone wants to follow up on your star wars thoughts uh, uh, Star Wars opinions you can follow me well if you find me anywhere on uh if i am anywhere it's jedi jesse 20 so uh i'll be that is my handle on twitter instagram and any other social media that i may be on it's uh jedi jesse 20 and uh it's just fantastic. We we've been friends for a for a good long while here, and have been sharing our uh, love for Star Wars for a while. Jesse, as I said earlier, is my go to when it comes to the authority on Star Wars stuff. So it was it was good I, to just kind of like sit down and like. I talk like how about I'm your Star Wars guru and you're my comic book guru. That's, that's our relationship. <laughs> that's what. That's how it. That's how it works out. Um, for those of you who don't know, as we're recording this as well, uh, we have been getting some pretty good rainstorms here, and Jesse braved an over an hour drive <laughs> to record this. So I want to say thank you for coming down. Yeah, and of course. Um, had a great time. Really looking forward to Rise of Skywalker. Oh my god! And I cannot wait to see just how this saga ends. Once again, want to give a big thanks to Jesse for joining us on this discussion. Uh, as you could probably tell, anytime Jesse and I get in a room and talk about stuff, the conversation just goes off immediately. So um, thank you for joining us for this discussion. Anytime I get to geek out with Jesse is always a good time. So thank you again to him for joining me on this. I want to hear from you guys. You know, what was your favorite Star Wars film? What is your least favorite star wars film um what is your list look like ranking all 10 of the films feel free to reach out to me feel free to let me know all of that stuff uh through either of our social medias at geeksplain pod on instagram or twitter or through email to geeksplain at gmail.com uh that's going to do it for this episode a long discussion Uh, i hope you had a good time listening to it we had a great time recording it And if you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to give us a rating and review on iTunes or any podcast platform that you happen to be listening to us on. It really does help us out and gets us out there and on the radar of listeners just like you. If you didn't like what you heard, um, never mind. 
But uh, feel free to also subscribe to us. Uh, we're growing all the time. This year has been incredible for us, and uh, 2020 is looking to be even bigger. Next week is our holiday episode. It's going to be our very first Christmas episode. So I'm really excited about it. Got a very special episode that I'm looking forward to. And uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, I think you will be excited for it as well. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for listening. Look forward to our uh, final episode of the decade, final episode of 2019, and our very special first ever holiday special next Wednesday, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. You're garbage. You don't matter. Except to me. Wow. That's a stunning impression. Like, like, what a recovery. Wow. Yeah. That's, oh, she's definitely into you. (laughs)